You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network for our final episode in our epic Australia vs. Canada, Canada vs. Australia, Movies from Canada, Movies from Australia Month, whatever you want to call it. And we are so excited today, well, at least I'm excited, I don't know how the other guy's feeling, we're about to find out, to bring you the most iconic, the greatest, the best piece of Australian cinema to have ever been released. It is The Castle, 1997's blockbuster movie. It was referred to as, this year's Full Monty, even though I believe the Full Monty came out the same year as this movie. But anyway, I don't exact know. Exact same year. Exact same year. <laughs> Maybe it was the American release. It came out the year later, and that's how they targeted <laughs> it. But the movie that Australians quote to this day, basically, in everyday life, a movie that has a big political message in it, which, except for maybe one scene, you really don't know unless you're told about it. And a movie that has so many big-name Australian stars in it, at least one of them has gone on to big things in Hollywood. I'm excited to talk about it. We're going to get into talking about it. My name is Ben. And this episode, it's it's the vibe of it. It's it's the Constitution. It, it's Marbo. It's, it's justice. It's law. It's... It's the vibe, and it's that that that's it. It's 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 the vibe. I I rest my case. <laughs> I was totally going to use that, uh, but the, I had no way of writing it all down as I was watching it. So uh, I'm this nice guy named Colin. I'm an accountant and a fanatical kickboxer. <laughs> I actually wanted to use my name is Ben, and what do you call this podcast? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, so if you want to start again, you can use the vibe and I'll use that one. So, <laughs> but, ah, uh, the castle, I was excited for Boytown, of course. Um, but this was the no brainer, just like I think you said with Bong Cop, Bad Cop was a no brainer. This was easily the no brainer when we decided about this one, because yeah, you, you talk to 99% of any Australian, except for Noah, clearly. Uh, and basically they will say this is probably the greatest Australian film of all time. Uh, it just... It's just one of these movies that everyone has seen in the country. It's just such a fun film. It's just basic, and it's just just a nice little snapshot of Australian suburban life, taking the piss out of us at the same time, as well as having a bit of a message behind it. And just so goddamn quotable. Like, seriously, the amount of things that we quote in this movie, it's just, it's crazy. So, yeah, Colin, I'm I'm nervous and somewhat excited to hear your thoughts on this movie right now. Uh, this is a really nice movie. Um, it, it's a feel, it's a feel good movie. Uh, I do get the quotability about it. I mean, the humor is very unique to it, and you know everybody really gets a chance to shine. Uh, I, I, I am kind of, I'm not going to say confused, but I went into this looking up and seeing what the plot was and having you kind of briefly describe it to me and really expecting a bigger movie as far as like the legal battle goes. And that's maybe five minutes of this movie. Um, it's a little bit strange that they spend the entire five minutes, you know, focused just on the end and there's not a bigger part of this story. I kind of got the same vibe from this that you said with Bon Cop, Bad Cop. Like it felt like, you know, a, a big two hour pilot for a television series. And to me, this feels like this would have made a great TV show. Uh, I, I really have no problems with this movie. Nothing bad to say about it. Something that comes up over and over again as we're doing these months where it's like, unless you're from the country, you don't really get the style and, you know, the, the feel of certain things. So to me, this this it felt very different than I expected it to be. Uh, it definitely was funnier than I thought. 
Uh, and I think that it, it was more feel good than I thought it would have been for a brief section of it. But no, it's a it's a perfectly fine movie. It's <laughs> it's nice. It's very nice. The tagline. I feel all nice inside for the re-release. A perfectly fine movie. <laughs> it's very nice Colin Hilding the Oz Network <laughs> hey it's our goal one day to make it onto a movie poster you never know it, it could happen um, yeah, coming soon Sonic the Hedgehog it's very nice Colin Hilding oh, the Oz Network d- are we going to make it on the re-release of Kill Phil this yeah. was the vanity project of Ben Waterworth <laughs> a fine movie <laughs> um yeah, but I, I definitely, I see the, the TV part of it as well. And this is kind of, um, again, you've talked a lot about it with Canadian films. It, it would be very the same with Australian movies. It's kind of not massive budgets for it. A lot of them kind of make do with what they've got. And, I mean, this is just a, a very standard movie that would be released in Australia. And I think, as I mentioned a couple of times about sort of Australian humour and in the fact that, you know, even through TV shows, particularly in the 90s as well, you've you've watched some of Fast Forward and Full Frontal, one of them, maybe both of them, I'm not too sure. Obviously, very popular comedy shows throughout the 90s in Australia. It's, I mean, it's just our way. We, we just absolutely take the piss out of ourselves, essentially, and poke fun at mainly sort of suburban life in Australia and our stereotypes and just really play up to them. That's, that's what we're known for. I mean, Kath and Kim, which came out five years after this, um, you know, one of Australia's most popular TV shows is very similar to this in the fact that you're just poking fun at everyday Australians and kind of really turning the the notch up on stereotypes of, you know, what we would call bogans, essentially. And, I mean, this movie is very much, you know, that you would classify the Kerrigans as bogans. You know, almost rednecky in some sort of way, but suburban mm. rednecky, I guess, would be the closest way for Canadians and Americans to maybe understand that. Because, you know, you have lots of moments in this film where kind of you've got like the council coming over and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, what do you reckon? That area will have to add a bit of value to the house, wouldn't it? <laughs> and just, you know, random things like that, which you legitimately, every, every Australian knows people like this in the suburbs. One of our neighbours is one of these people that just thinks they've got everything perfect. And probably most people are looking at them going, what the actual like these guys are kind of weird um but i think that's maybe what so many australians definitely connect with this movie uh because again this is what we know we know these people um and and like the message behind it too like we we often talk about on this show how you know we're not fans of movies or tv shows that are are too obvious in what they're trying to to sell you you know Mm -hmm. this is a movie with a female in the lead isn't it unusual let's point out that it's unusual for two hours like we're not fans of that we just want to kind of watch a movie if it's got a message great but it doesn't need to be shoved down our throat and i think this movie it actually i will be honest with you it took me a long time to realize what the message of was of this movie because i mean i would have been 10 when this movie came out i'm not going to understand it fully but um you know when you eventually understand that this movie is essentially um you know telling a, a story about what was very big in australia during the 90s and it was about land rights and kind of Aboriginal Australians fighting over their rights to their own land and basically getting a lot of their land back from the Australian government that had been taken from them over the years. Uh, And, of course, there's a scene or two in this movie that sort of reference it, but it's, you know, it's really not, I feel, shoved down your throat. So it it is kind of just a nice movie uh, that has a pretty strong (laughs) message in it. Uh, which I think it definitely works out. Uh, I don't know if you... I mean, I sort of obviously had told you a little bit about the, the message behind this movie. I don't know how you feel, like if it is shoved down your throat a little bit through the couple of scenes or how kind of you, your take was it as a Canadian? Because you've obviously got, I, I guess, some similar issues like this in Canada throughout your history as well. 
Yeah, no. To a lot of the issues in Canada, um, and it was so subtle in this movie that even though they were well into the courtroom scenes, I think it wasn't until they mentioned the first thing about you know Aboriginals where I'm like, oh, I kind of get what the point of this movie is now, and it's just like a, almost like a blink and you miss it thing. But the second that it does click, you're like, now I get this, and it, it takes on a completely different context, and it made me appreciate the story a lot more, which is one of the reasons why I'm saying, you know, I think the 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 only disconnect for me was that that played such a small part in the story. It was introduced very late and it wasn't as prominent as I think it maybe could have been. So you could have two takeaways from that. One is, you know, they had a really great idea here that they could have just built a, a little bit more suspense around and, and more tension with, you know, or, or are they going to get their land or is, is it going to be taken from them? Uh, or maybe having more of that would have made it too obvious of a message and they just wanted something subtle enough that would get people to think. Uh, I, I really did like as soon as I, I got, OK, that's what this movie's about. Um, but it does happen so late in the movie. Like, that's one of the things I'm going to be interested in going through this, because this felt like it was 100 percent not at all out like, oh, that's so funny, like ah, <laughs> comedy, but like very simple. Monty would be a, a good comparison just in that it's a funny movie, but it's not like laugh out loud funny. It's like, oh, that's clever. You know, that's nice. And then it becomes more dramatic, but they never go so far down the dramatic route. So. You know, maybe I think that's the the stylistic thing that's a little bit different. Where if you're not used to, let's say the way Australian dramas are handled, that you, you're not going to get it as much. The humor I 100% got, like, and and it caught me off guard because I think the way that I had read up what this movie was about, the way that you described it, I was expecting more of a you know feel good drama and maybe a little bit of like lighthearted stuff in here and then you even said last week they're like oh yeah there's actually a you know more humor in it than you might expect and this played almost like you know a, a very lighthearted comedy for a lot of it um but the 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 whole thing with the the land rights and everything you know it would be an interesting thing to to kind of debate on about if they had gone bigger into the the drama of the courtroom would that have made it too obvious of a message i think it's definitely a thing with australian movies too is that even our dramas generally and it's not just an australian thing i shouldn't say that obviously a lot of movies do this as well but a majority of our dramas probably have a, a bit of a really comedic undertone to it like i would say the majority of movies australia releases are comedies um but we mm. you know we do have a lot more i mean you, you think of crocodile dundee for example i mean that's you know a bit of both yeah. um you know it's kind of just a style that we have um, that's, so. that's actually a really good comparison. Cause I remember like, I, I heard about that movie so much as a kid and everything. And then even as a teenager, and I probably didn't see it until I was an adult and it just been built up for so long about, Oh, this brilliant comedy. And then when I saw the movie, I'm like, well, this wasn't like as funny as I expected it, not mm. a knock against the comedy in it, but yeah, it, it felt more, you know, like a balance. Whereas I, with Canadians, if we make comedies, it's going to be an all out comedy if we make a drama, it's going to be very serious. So we don't really have as much balance in our genres as you do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say Boytown was a little bit more on the comedy scale, obviously. Um, but they, you oh, know, yeah. they tried to throw a bit of drama in there. But um, yeah, no, it's just, it's just kind of like... I, there was a movie that I remember seeing um, back when I very first started in radio. The radio station I was at at the time, we had one of these, you know, like, oh, giveaway tickets, come and see this brand new movie. And we hosted the premiere. And it was an Australian movie, and I think it was called One Fine Day or something like that. One Perfect Day, it was called. Um, and it was basically about, like, dance music in a, in Australia and kind of the underground scene and how it was helping heal, 
like I think a teenager whose best friend had killed himself or something. Like, you know, deep undertones, all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And like on paper, it sounded great because I like dance music. I like Melbourne. Um, cool. <laughs> this is going to be good. And it was a terrible movie. <laughs> like, I would never go back and watch it again. I think I got the soundtrack because it was good. But it's just, this is, I think, the thing too with Australian cinema is is that a lot of the time, the movie's either going to be really good or really bad. There's never generally a middle ground with Australian movies. I don't know if that's how it is with Canadian movies sometimes. But I just, it's it's the Australian movies that I can list that I've seen. I will either say to you, I really like that movie or I really hated that movie. We mentioned in another episode that we recorded yesterday, I brought up the movie Gallipoli, which is standard mm-hmm. watching for pretty much every Australian in high school. And I really don't like that movie. But you said, like, I like that movie. So yeah, great it's, movie. It's kind of, it's it's odd and, you know, like, I guess maybe one exception is that it's like Crocodile Dundee is is fine. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. You know what I mean? But I don't know. Is that a thing mm-hmm. in Canada that generally you're either going to love it or hate it? Is there ever really a middle ground? Uh, well, I mean, Men with Brooms last week was sort of one of those middle ground movies. Um, True. Maybe that's a little bit different in that it, it, it was a movie that nobody really hated, just nobody absolutely loved. It was just the reaction was, yeah, that's a fine movie. You know? <laughs> uh, but I don't think we really have polarizing opinions. If there is a movie like Bond Cop, Bad Cop, if somebody's seen Bond Cop, Bad Cop, you're not really going to meet somebody who says, oh, I hated that movie. And uh, probably the closest thing you'll get to it is if somebody does what a lot of the Canadian sci-fi movies, which uh, I'm actually interested at the end of this to maybe go kind of do a roundtable and throw some ideas out there where we could put up next month. Uh, Canadian sci-fi movies tend to be very artsy and very weird. And there's a couple of directors specifically who do that. And you do create more polarizing opinions. But I'd say outside of the sci-fi genre it's it's pretty standard. If if there's a bad Canadian movie, people are just going to say, oh, that's a bad movie. And if there's a good Canadian movie, people are going to say, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's yeah similar. I mean, we, we have just some that just randomly come out of nowhere. I remember there was a movie called Red Dog. Um, gosh, that was about eight years ago. It was when I was still working at the CD DVD store. And it just came out of nowhere. And everybody's like, I want Red Dog. I want Red Dog. This looks amazing. This is so good. And it had... Um, Oh, it had what's his name in it? Who we just saw in Ford v Ferrari, the evil dude from Ford v Ferrari. Um, Josh. Uh, oh, what's his name? Ah, oh. Mister Ferrari. No, <laughs> um, no, the the evil executive guy that was like telling them to swap places and stuff like that. Who we all hated in Ford v Ferrari. What's that actor's name? Um, God, I've gone blank. I barely recall the character. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find his name now because this is gonna piss me off. I believe it's like a Josh or something like that, or Josh Lucas. Yeah, oh, there we go. Oh, Josh Lucas, yeah. Yeah, so he was in Red Dog. He was like, this is one of those ones where they brought out, like, you know, a star of America to come star in an Australian movie, and it, it would, like, it did really well. Uh, and then saying something like Wolf Creek, which was kind of like a, a horror movie. I don't know if you've seen that, but, like, yeah. for example, Quentin Tarantino was a huge fan of that movie, and, like, he actually cast um, the, the main actor in that one uh, in a small role, I believe, in Django Unchained. He loved the movie so much. Um, so, you know, little things like that that kind of go out there and that. But then I could list another 10 Australian movies that were like Boytown. They were released for a month and everyone forgets about them. Uh, I mean, we had that reaction from Noah yesterday. Why did you guys do Boytown? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good movie, Noah. Um, just, it's also I think it's important just to mention with this movie, um, the, the production crew behind this, the, the team that wrote this. So it's directed by Rob Sitch and basically his very first movie that he did. Now, during our top 50 TV shows of all time, uh, the, the, 
best Australian show that I said ever existed is a TV show called Frontline, which, uh, just to refresh people's memories, is kind of like a parody of shows like A Current Affair, you know, sort of those types of shows. And brilliantly written. Only went for about three seasons, and it was so well done that in journalism, when I was studying journalism at university, we actually had to watch those episodes as kind of like, this is a comedy, but this is legitimately what it's like in a newsroom. You need to understand this. So it was so well done, often revered as one of Australia's greatest TV shows of all time. And also throughout sort of the 80s and 90s, um, Rob Sitch and what is now known as Working Dog Productions, they basically created a bunch of some of Australia's most renowned TV shows. So there was a, a show called The Late Show, very similar to what you would know as a late show in the States, but kind of a bit more comedic to it. Uh, the D Generation in the 80s was kind of a bit of the same, like almost like a talk show mixed with a bit of sketch comedy in there as well. Uh, and then he, in the 2000s, probably a lot of people knew him for uh, a show called The Panel, which is, again, just a talk show. You had less, like four people at a desk that have a guest on every week uh, and kind of share news. And just it, it was very, very popular. Uh, he was one of the desk members and had a couple of people on there as well. But, I mean, he went on to do a lot more other things. I think at the moment um, he's got a show called The Hollow Men on, which is sort of um, a bit of... Uh, not Holloman, sorry, that was an older show, uh, Utopia, which is kind of a, a parody of like local councils in Australia and just kind of all the red tape that's got to go through to do meaningless tasks, which is very, very popular here. And he also stars in it. But Rob Sitch also was a star in Frontline, just an absolutely hilarious person. And the other writing crew with this one, uh, just very famous Australian comedians, Santo Calera, Tom Gleisner, and Jane Kennedy, who is actually Rob Sitch's wife, and she starred alongside him in Frontline, as did Santo Calera. But Tom Gleisner... Uh, renowned comedian in this country. He's gone on to produce a lot more shows. So very esteemed writing crew. And I think a lot of Australians actually forget that these were the people behind this movie. And it was Rob Sitch's very first movie that he ever directed. So um, very much uh, you can see why that uh, this movie is very much revered now in Australia when you understand who is behind it. But even the stars in this one, obviously you're a bit of a fan of Eric Banner, uh, so <laughs> you get to see Eric Banner in this one. Michael Caton, uh, sort of, you know, been around in Australia for a long time. Uh, he had been in a couple of American movies. I mentioned he was in The Animal with Rob Schneider, big star vehicle there. Um, Anne Tenney, she uh, was best known for a show called A Country Practice in the 1980s. She was one of the main people. Her death, no, spoiler alert, in that show was, I think, voted the most um, tragic death in Australian television history. Oh, uh, spoiler! I, was, I know. Uh, I was a bit young for that. Uh, but anyway, but she went on. So my second favourite Australian TV show of all time, Always Greener. She was the mother in that as well. Uh, Stephen, Car- Stephen Curry, who plays Dale in this movie, very young Stephen Curry. Uh, he's also one of these sort of uh, TV stars in Australia who is always very, very popular. Uh, and you would have noticed a couple of people, like Wayne Hope, uh, who is Wayne, the guy in jail. He was, of course, one of the five in Boytown. He was the gay one, if you didn't Carl. recognize him. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And there was a brief cameo at the very end with the uh, the lawyer, the older lawyer's son, Tony Martin. He was the one who was in the uh, the crew, doing the documentary crew in Boytown as well. And he was the one who was part of that radio duo. Uh, and even the old lawyer, which we'll get to when we get into this, uh, played by Charles Bud Tingwell, a legendary Australian actor, one of the greatest Australian actors of all time. Uh, I don't know. You probably would know who he is, but... Um... <laughs> but I, like, watching the opening credits for this movie and that name comes up, can you tell me why Bud is in brackets in the middle of his name? Like, it's not like <laughs> Charles and then quotations Bud or something like that, the way you normally see it. 
or as a middle name. It's like Charles Brackets, Bud, <laughs> Tingwell. Like I've never seen anybody do Brackets for a nickname before. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. Uh, I mean, everyone in Australia would know him as Bud Tingwell. Like, it's a lot many people would refer to him as Charles. I, I don't know. Maybe it was just they did that instead of um, quotation marks or something. I have no idea. Um but we'll get into uh, we'll get into the movie, and uh, it is kind of a bit of a short movie too. Like it only it's only eighty minutes long, um, so it's mm. it's definitely a movie you can kind of knock off pretty quickly. It's just it's two episodes of a TV show essentially. So <laughs> um, you, you're double watching an episode on uh, Netflix, basically to put it into 2020 terminology. Uh, but we start off with um, sort of a bit of an opening monologue, you'd say here from um, Dale Carrigan. Um, he, of course, is Stephen Curry. We like Stephen Curry, and we just get the whole story here of the uh, the Carrigan house that they live uh, right underneath the power lines at the airport. And another another movie here filmed in Melbourne. So both our movies uh, in Australia Month this year filmed in Melbourne, which I mean is a common thing. You're not going to get many filmed in Tasmania. There are a few. But... A lot of Hallmarks. <laughs> ah, again, we can do Arctic Blast. Stuck. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, and this is kind of where I guess you get a bit of a vibe of uh, how this story's going to go, what he's basically telling just how much his dad is a bit of a legend in the family. So he's always marvelling at the, uh, the the ingenious nature of power lines. Um, he's wanting to build a patio. Um, he's talking uh, that his son's an ideas man because he's creating things like brooms with a hose in it. Uh, he's super proud of his daughter because she got a degree at TAFE hairdressing. Now, TAFE is, I guess, <laughs> I, I don't know if you have TAFE or what, I guess, do you have community college in Canada, similar to what they have in the States? Yeah. Yeah. So, not exactly something, no offence to all of those who went to TAFE, um, but like, you kind of get that reaction later on in this movie when Charles, in brackets, Bud Tingwell, is kind of like, oh yes, my <laughs> son has lots of degrees. And like, oh yeah, I'm so proud of my daughter. She went to TAFE. And he's just like, of course, yes. Um, again, no offense. People went to TAFE. I'm sure it was hard. Um, but we also get to learn some of the little, um, quirks of this movie. And I don't know if you, it'd be interesting actually to see if you could pick out the bits that we still quote this day in Australia. But uh, we get um, Steve, the apprentice mechanic, who loves going into the training post. <laughs> Dad, ergonomic chairs. Oh, what does he want for him? 180? Dreaming. Uh, <laughs> going thing. Uh, that is definitely something in Australia we do to this day. Tell him he's dreaming. Uh, just random things like that. And we also get, uh, which is some of my favourite moments in the movie, my friend who I used to quote Kath and Kim with all the time, we do this all the time with these lines, is, oh, what do you call this? Sponge cake. <laughs> yeah, but what's that stuff on top? Icing sugar. <laughs> and I just love Aunt Teddy in this movie. She's just got, like, that real bogan Australian accent. <laughs> like, Chicken. <laughs> What's that stuff on top? Seasoning. <laughs> it's it's basically like the Simpsons episode where Homer's like, "Oh, these pork chops are amazing. What did you do with it?" You might say the secret ingredient was salt. <laughs> <laughs> but even the narration here by Dale just comes with things he says. He's like, "That's my brother Steve. He's an ideas man. He's got lots of ideas. That's why Dad calls him an ideas man." <laughs> 
Oh, it's so funny. And then you get sort of dad being a real thinker. He does all his thinking either out the back or in the kitchen. Uh, and then we we meet um, Eric Banner for the first time. Con, yeah. uh, who, uh, you know, he's an accountant, but he's a kickboxer as well. Uh, and then we see footage of their wedding and kind of, you know, and dad gave a speech that brought the house down. And what does he say when he's like, you know, oh, we should stop breaking all those plates. We've got to bloody pay yeah. for it. And he's like, oh, and I was a bit worried because the Greeks have a reputation. And then everyone's like, ooh. And then, he's <laughs> with, and then it turns into like a big laughing fit. Um, I, I like, I mean, not this really matters to the storyline of this movie, but uh, Greek immigration was huge in Australia sort of after the wars. And um, we actually, Melbourne has the biggest Greek population in any city in the world outside of Athens. So um, there's actually uh, quite a lot of Greek history in Australia. There's actually a, a film we could do one year called The Wog Boy, uh, which was sort of a, a, a bit what? of a... Co- what? <laughs> yeah, the Wog Boy. <laughs> which, yeah, I think... Did we talk about that in Boytown or another episode? Wog's kind of almost a derogative term for, like, someone from, like, Greece or Italy that came to Australia. So it's it's written by a Greek-Australian comedian who essentially is... It's almost like a, a autobiography of himself, sort of growing up in Australia and how he had to deal with being called Wog Boy. And it's a comedy. It's a lot more of a comedy than this. But uh, it's, a, it's a decent movie. They did a sequel to it, which I've never seen. But anyway. Um, so and we also learn about Wayne. He's in jail. Um, and I just... He didn't mean to rob the petrol station. Now he's sorry. <laughs> Oh, it's just hilarious. And I love this bit where they're sitting there in the um, the waiting room. It's like, how's Dad? Good. How's Mum? Good. How's Tracy? Good. How's Steve? Oh, he's all right. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so we could just talk for hours. <laughs> Which is a similar thing I mentioned uh, when we did Boytown, how Glenn Robbins went on to do a very funny TV show called Russell Coit's All Aussie Adventures. And that, the heat, they would constantly do a running gag in that one where it's like, I'm a man of the outback, and every time I met someone, I could sit around a campfire and talk for hours, and you just see them sitting at the campfire in dead silence going, did you watch the game last night? No. And then it will just be <laughs> quiet, and it's like, ah, oh, the conversations and stories we could tell. <laughs> uh, we learned about greyhounds. Um, <laughs> I love the gift-giving uh, part of it. That's something the Kerrigans pride themselves on presents. And then the dad opens up one, an ashtray, but I don't even smoke. <laughs> <laughs> and we learn about maybe the biggest uh, thing to ever come from this movie for Australians, the pool room. And that is definitely something we all say. Whenever we get something nice, it's, oh, that's gone straight to the pool room. Um, so uh, she, what does he get a, a beer stein or something like that and then we keep learning it's again I love I don't know if maybe this time watching this movie the mum's my favourite character in this movie because I just love the little things I'd like to do pottery she just keeps like <laughs> dropping that like five times in this movie she always looks so pleased with herself too I know but that's what's so great about her performance because like this is kind of the thing you've got like this Aussie battler family is what we would call it and kind of the daddies all this sort of stuff and you kind of just would have this portrayed as just like the standard suburban house mum who is just all she is mm-hmm. is just she's a mum she's got a great family she does things and she's just proud of it like it, this sounds a bit weird because I don't think this is fully true but it, part of it is she kind of does remind me of my mum in a, like growing up to a point like my mum wasn't bogan 
But like, she just, my mum was just growing up. She uh, had the most important job of them all, raising us kids. She stayed home and like kept a house and kind of just, she was proud of all the things that she did and all that sort of stuff. And some people don't necessarily think that's a big deal, but it is a big deal, you know, because like mm. you've got to raise kids and keep a house and all that sort of stuff. So certain things like that with uh, this character, I think reminds me of my mum growing up and uh, I love her. I just, yeah, I, I don't think there's a character in this movie I don't like, to be honest. Um, but then we kind of get the uh, the main point of this movie after this narration, where they get a letter from the council. Um, you know what this this is a what is it a, a, a compulsory acquirement letter? You know what this means, right? They're acquiring our house compulsory. <laughs> 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 Love that line. Um, and uh, oh no, that's not quite yet. We've got the scene with the council guy coming over first. I should I've skipped over that scene. Uh, and I love just Daryl's reaction straight away. This is about the aerial. This is about the nature strip. I've had up to bloody here with you guys. Very Australian reaction to a council person coming over to the house. Uh, but he's there essentially um, to look over the house. And I love, the, again, the little lines of like, uh, see that up there? That, um, that, that awning? Fake. Uh, adds a Victoriana feel to the house, you see. Uh, it's like, see that chimney? Fake. <laughs> What's the point of it? Adds an extra, you know, uh, mood to the house, I think. <laughs> and then I love also the the greyhound thing when it's like, oh yeah, we we're going to turn that into a granny flat. You guys said no, so I put it into a kennel. Um, and then we also get the um, the the real uh, idea of how close they are to the airport. And this is just, I think, that sort of running gag of this whole movie where it's kind of like no one clearly would ever live there because of the power lines in the airport, but he loves every single second of it. Um, I'd, lo- I'd honestly love to live near an airport. I don't know about you, but I, I love planes, so um, probably <laughs> not. Maybe not. Okay. Um, you live in Winnipeg. Oh, I- the whole city's an airport. Uh- <laughs> well, I was just going to say, when we were looking for a house, one of the first areas we were looking in was around the airport uh, simply because you could get houses cheaper just because of the noise. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we ended up moving about as far away from the airport as we could get. To Calgary. Um, yeah, exactly. We, <laughs> we live right under a flight path, but luckily Invercargill has little planes that fly into it, except for one. Uh, one jet service like twice a day and you barely even hear it because it's actually not that loud. Um, but yeah, so this is where the letter is um, and that we find out that they're taking over the house essentially. Uh, we meet uh, Farouk, his neighbour for the first time. <laughs> I love Farouk. Uh, and we meet Jack, his other, uh, their other neighbour. They're taking my house, Daryl. Um, and I might sort of just cap it here when he first visits the uh, the council lady. Uh, he's basically thinking, this is going to be a simple fix. I can just tell you, no, I don't want to go. And then we learn there's federal laws uh, put in place from the airport. Airlink have uh, got federal jurisdiction and that they will, um, they can easily take away your house because they want to extend the runway, essentially. So that's about the uh, first third of the movie, really. I mean, it really is. I'm not even joking. Um, that's about 20 minutes of the movie to get to the initial setup. But uh, yeah, a lot of the running jokes kind of get laid out here. Yeah, there's a ton. I mean, you you pretty much know this movie by heart, and you even couldn't cover them all. Uh, I'm glad I have a couple of things to talk about here. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because I honestly have no clue where my notes end in context of where the story is here. Um, but uh, some of the fun things like the the dad made our billiard table and then you just tell it's completely on an angle and all the balls roll into one pocket. That was pretty good. <laughs> um, 
the uh, the um, you already I think you kind of mentioned the you know the sponge cake icing sugar and then the other thing what do you call this chicken oh what's that stuff on the top seasoning <laughs> sounds so again, weird I, I, in a Canadian accent I'm sorry <laughs> seasoning sorry seasoning <laughs> there you go <laughs> it's just one of those lines that you just know so well in an Australian accent when you hear like yeah. what's this stuff on top seasoning it's like oh that sounds strange. <laughs> But, but I'm with you. Like, she's so good in this movie. She really doesn't do much either uh, other than just, like, that one continued, you know, gag of, oh, this, she's just explaining the simplest thing in the world that he thinks is incredible. Uh, but she does it so well. And it's the fact that she's, like, so happy the whole time. Like I said, she she looks very pleased with herself. I don't mean that in, like, an arrogant way. It's almost like, you know, she probably knows her husband's a bit of a boob when he's like, what do you call this? <laughs> Chicken, you know, oh, sorry, chicken. <laughs> but she's just so happy to like humor him. And uh, I, I get totally what you said about, you know, some people do look down and it's like, oh, she just wants to stay at home. Like, that is a lot of work. And, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, my mom would kind of work one or two days away just for extra money. You know, Jamie does the same thing. Uh, but just to put it into context, I mean, we've got a three year old and we've got twins. Um, she's already almost looking forward to when she goes back to work. Cause she's like, I'm going to have a break for two or three days a week, you know, cause she doesn't work full time, but, uh, there'd be no possible way to handle that. But yeah, like that's her break. And, and I kind of look at the same way, you know, uh, people say, Oh, are you going anywhere on vacation? I'm like, no, I mean, I'm at work right now. I'm on vacation. <laughs> um, but it's, it's just, they're such a simple family and it's those little details that really sell, this less as a comedy and more as just like a nice feel good story because if this were any other movie these would be played as look at this loser family you know they got a pool table that that you know hangs into one pocket they're you know marveling at these very simple things oh look at those power lines is that incredible or what and this would be just a flat out joke and here the tone of the movie doesn't make it a joke. I don't know if that's the writing or if it's the directing. Uh, a common thing I saw here, too, you, you mentioned the director, Rob Sitch. Uh, there is a movie of his I've seen, which is The Dish, which I guess he made after oh, this. Oh, of course. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah well, I assumed that was a, pretty big outside of Australia. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I forgot that mm-hmm. that was kind of widely released outside of Australia. Yeah, yeah, I, and I love that movie. And one of the things I love best about that is, it, again, it's a true story. Yeah. They're not playing it as a joke, but... The real story was that this, you know, uh, place where the, the the satellite installation, which helped cover the moon landing, was in the middle of a sheep paddock. And that's one of the things I always found the funniest about it is just the simplicity of what they're doing. But then you're surrounded by sheep everywhere. And it's kind of the same thing here. They're like, oh, this is our castle. And then you've got like a plane literally landing in the backyard because you see the planes flying overhead. And then they save the reveal later on when I think that that guy comes to the house um, where they're like, wait a second, is that the runway right there? They're like, yeah. And then they turn, and the runway is literally about five feet from their back fence. <laughs> and he knows the um, flights. Like, oh, yeah, that's a 720 to Brisbane via Sydney. Like, yeah, he just exactly. Knows it. <laughs> but, but it's the fact that they're portraying them as just this family, that they love this life, that, like, I get the point of this movie. You know, I do – I'm going to be honest. I have a hard time through a lot of this movie – not wanting to kick them, saying, take the money! You know, this place is a dump! <laughs> but then, closer to the end of the movie, you really get why this is important. It's just, 
I don't know if that was the intention too. That maybe it, when you first watch this, I mean, you you probably I don't even know if you would remember seeing this the first time. But for me, I'm spending this entire movie thinking like these people are idiots. Like, what's wrong with them? <laughs> and then you get on their side. There's that one moment later in the movie where you just get on their side. Uh, everybody here is great. Like you said, all the different characters. Um, the the one who's narrating. Which one is that? Uh, that's so that's Dale, the the Stephen Curry, the young okay. one with the mullet. Yeah. He is very Forrest Gump in this movie. Mm, um, mm-hmm. I don't mean like his intellect, but just the way this character is narrating. It's very similar to like the beginning of Forrest Gump. When Forrest Gump would witness something, he would be narrating it or telling the story to somebody. And it's completely different, you know, like not to drag it down. But but the, the way that uh, Jenny's molestation is handled in Forrest Gump, it's like she had a very loving father who was always yeah. touching her and kissing her. But in his eyes, he doesn't see it differently. And I think it was important for them to pick this one character who was the more Forrest Gump like to narrate it. Because otherwise, I think it is just a flat out comedy. And I love all the narration that they have with him in this. Uh, like you said, with hey, he invented a brush with a hose in it, which... <laughs> I think anybody who's been to a car wash knows this probably existed for decades already. <laughs> um, some of the other fun things here uh, with the um, – uh, tell me if this comes later in the movie or if this is at the the, the right part or not. Um, where Dale dug a hole and they got all really excited. Dale dug a hole today. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Dale. Tell him. I dug a hole. <laughs> I dug a hole. <laughs> that's, that's that's another random one that people will quote. Like there are some things that like will be in our daily lives, like in Australians. But like there are certain ones in this one where like legitimately it will just drop in. Like I dug a hole, and that that reminds me of the Simpsons episode. What are you doing, digging? Why are you digging? Because. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and and the the whole trading thing they're always doing. You're looking for bargains. I mean, everybody knows people like that. <laughs> Their house is cluttered with junk that they'll never need. Um, I mean, even Jamie does. I, I'm I'm the opposite of a hoarder uh, just because I've been in so many houses that are hoarder houses that it actually really turns me off. Like, I, I, not sexually, not in a sexual way, but... <laughs> when I go into houses I mean, and they're empty, I just get turned on. Like, oh, look yes. at all this space, no Jamie. That's great. Look a kid. <laughs> Um, but like, it's something that I just absolutely hate, but there's plenty of times Jamie would be like something as simple as going to the grocery store and she's like, Oh, look at this. Let's buy this. I'm like, well, we wouldn't normally buy that. It's not normally on our grocery list. Yeah, but it's half price. Mallory. Like, yeah, but yep. it's, yeah, I'm like, it's like, it's normally $10 and it's being sold for five. I'm like, that's still five more dollars than we would yep. have spent had we not gotten it. And it yep. wasn't the plan to get it. That is Mallory. Yeah. We might need it in a month. Well, we don't need it now, it's- do we? <laughs> She rang me up the other day. Can we go to a movie tonight? I'm like, why? It's like, because. I'm like, what's on? Nothing. I'm like, well, we've got movies at home we can watch. We don't need to go. That's money we've got to spend. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cheap night at the movies. Yeah, but nothing good's playing. Yeah, but it's cheap. There's even the line here. Um, and another Simpsons thing this reminded me of. I'll bring it for a second. Uh, with the, the jousting sticks. Uh, yeah. What are you ever... What are you with jousting sticks. Yeah, but it's half price. That's a bargain. <laughs> How much is a jousting stick worth? Oh, I don't know. I wouldn't say more than one fifty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's like, that's like the Simpsons where they get the coupon book, yes. and uh, it's like Ooh, two for one pizza at Doughies. But Dad, Doughies has terrible pizza. Yeah, but you get two of them. <laughs> <laughs> but it 
again, like, again. that is legitimately, this is what's, what's so great about this movie. You said it yourself, like, we all know people like that. Like, legitimately, yeah. I think every part of this movie, and you, you are clearly the same and you're not Australian, but, like, you just know everyone. You know somebody like this. And it's just what, like, like oh, that's John down the street. He does that all the time. Ah. Yeah, I've got a family member. I won't mention their name in case. Is it the one famous of... one? <laughs> no, it's not the famous one. <laughs> but uh, um, he will collect stuff. It's like, oh, look at this. And, and I think at one point I had said, you know, I've got a lawnmower that doesn't work. You know, can you use it? Uh, you know what? I've got about three lawnmowers sitting in the back that don't work, and I keep thinking that I'm going to use them for spare parts, and they're just collecting a bunch of dirt at this point. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly the type of – oh, but you know what? I could use this one of these days, and then you just have that house that's just cluttered in junk. My uh, grandma, one of my grandmas. Cluttered. One of my grandmas definitely is that person. Like She legitimately – like I, she just moved. She moved to another state in Australia, but and they've cleared her house out because they're selling it, but – I honestly wouldn't have been to her house in like 15 years because she's actually to the point where she doesn't bring people over because she would store stuff in her oven because she had that much stuff uh, and she like had nowhere to put things. So, yeah. Uh, hopefully she, it's not a fire hazard. She doesn't forget <laughs> there's stuff in the oven. <laughs> Just move a couple of these plates out um, of the way. i got to cook some chicken. But, you know, it's funny. We're going through these lines and we're like, oh, that's really hilarious. But yet when you're watching the movie, it doesn't feel like, oh, that's hilarious. It just because they're portraying these characters, as just very real people. It's not laugh out loud. But yet if you explain it in the right context, you're like, oh, that is really funny. It's just it, it, they, they play it completely differently here. Uh, the um, the brother that's in prison. Um, do they ever explain what he's in prison for? Uh, for armed robbery, because that's when they do that thing where it's like he didn't mean to hold up the service station. And now he's sorry. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. I got the he's sorry part, but maybe someone was lost in the accent. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and the uh, the Australian Price is Right. So is this a, is this still a thing? Was this a thing just at the time? Uh, is this always been a no, thing? Not anymore. But that that was one hundred percent accurate. That was exactly that was Larry Emder, the host. He pronounces Larry Emder weird, but um. So yeah, no, that was uh that was exactly it. And I loved that growing up. And then they it kind of got cancelled, and then it came back. And I remember that. Like in the mid 2000s, oh my god, the price is right, he's coming back. Um, but Larry Emder still is a host on TV. He's like, um, he kind of hosts like a morning show where he sits with a, a female host and they just read celebrity stuff. And yeah, it's 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 an interesting show. But I like Larry Emder's great. He's a really nice guy. I I would love to have him on the show. I don't know where I was going with that, but anyway. <laughs> Actually, the funny I mean, thing I- is when, when I first started liking, when I really as a kid, and I really got into um following Michael Schumacher, the Formula One driver, I brought home a book once in the library of Michael Schumacher, and the first thing my mum said is like, oh, is that Larry Emder? Because she thought she looked like the guy from The Price is Right. Like, yes, mum, I have the official autobiography of the host of The Price is Right. Uh, mm. <laughs> At a kid's school? <laughs> yep, yep. I just imagine, like, do you want to check out this Bob Barker autobiography? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what kid doesn't? <laughs> I, I'm I'm just kind of jealous though because I really wish we had more Canadian versions. Or we're getting like reality show Canadian versions, like The Bachelor Canada, Amazing Race Canada, Big Brother Canada. Still no Survivor Canada. Um, I mean, everybody loves game shows, but the thing is, they're only on during the day. And every once in a while, when there's a Canadian version of game show, they'll put it prime time. And we just got the Canadian Family Feud. 
uh, which is great. I actually prefer it over the American Family Feud right now. I think their host is great. The, it, and I don't know if you've seen the viral video. This is completely off topic, but I got to mention it. The Jamie tagged uh, you in it. I think I think I saw the it. Popeyes post- lady. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I remember seeing Jamie tag you, and I watched it. It was quite funny. Yeah. Which I'm sure many people have seen this now, but there's a question about, you know, what what food uh, do you most associate with Popeye? Um, and the obvious answer is spinach. And this lady with so much excitement goes, chicken! And <laughs> this is going all over the internet now. It's like a complete viral video. And I was trying to explain this video to Jamie, the absurdity of it. And I, no joke, this is exactly where our conversation goes. Okay, so there's this video. And the question is, you know, what food do you associate with Popeye? And Jamie turns to me, not with like an excited look, but with more like a, everybody knows that. And she goes, chicken. And I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So Canadian women don't get this, apparently. Uh, You should pose it to Mallory, see if she comes up with the same thing. Uh, we're just saying Popeye's restaurants only opened in Canada like less than a year ago. But hey, completely off topic. I just wish we had a Canadian um, Price Canadian is right. uh, prices right. Yeah, because that's the ultimate game show, isn't it? Um, did we get to when Eric Bana comes back from his honeymoon yet? Uh, no, that's about to come up in just a moment. I think. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll pause there. But yeah, I, I I do like the story about the house being taken away. But I feel like it's introduced here, and then it just sort of comes up sporadically after this. Which is a little bit weird. Or maybe if I were to rewatch the movie, I'd just look at it a different way. But uh, yeah, the, the, the introduction here, I wasn't – a hundred. I, I kind of got because I knew basically what the plot was. You know, I kind of got what this guy coming to the house was. But yeah, I love that line too about the, the compulsory – whatever what was it again? Compulsory acquisition. They're, they're taking our yeah. house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was great. It's it's interesting to hear your reaction from it because I mean maybe it just does, does come down to the fact that I have seen this movie so many times, but um, I definitely don't feel like the whole taking the house thing just sort of comes and goes. I think it's kind of it is the underlying tone of this movie, and it's just kind of watching this family, I guess, battle through it and kind of just try to live through everyday life while you know putting the background. And I think it's kind of this Aussie battler mentality that is sort of uh, another theme of this movie, is that. You know, and this is where I think it's important to really pay uh, praise to Michael Caton as Daryl Kerrigan because it's kind of just this this notion that he's such a family man. He's so proud of his family and his life and just everything about it. He, he basically dotes over every single one of his children and his wife and just everything's positive. But he just, he has that mentality of like, ah, she'll be right, mate. Like, you know, just he gets yeah. this letter in the mail of, oh, fuck, we're taking your house. But he doesn't believe it's going to happen. Like, even all the troubles that are against him, like, he, he can't see the impossibility of this. Uh, and then we're going to kind of get that balance in a little bit here when we're about to meet the lawyer guy, who is maybe my favourite character in the whole movie. Um, oh, but, fine. <laughs> but, I, but yeah, just, I think, that, I think that that's note, what like, it is, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I, now that you say that, I completely get that that's the thing that sort of stands in the way of this being a more dramatic story. And I think I just kind of wanted a little bit more drama out of this. And that positivity, like it totally makes sense for the character and everything. And and it, I'm, I'm a little bit torn because I do like the idea of this story about they're going to lose their house. But the only way to really achieve that would be for him to be the less positive character. But I also really love the character and I wouldn't want to lose that. So rock in a hard place. I definitely think like it's, it's kind of one of these things when somebody might say like, oh, describe to me the difference between Australia and Canada. Um, and this is definitely one of those personality traits I feel that Australians have would have over, say, Canadians. Because I like having lived in New Zealand, New Zealanders are very similar to Australians. Being to Canada, Canadians can be very similar to Americans. 
but I think that there's just obviously different traits about them. But like Australians, are, we're very relaxed people, and like this is I think what is summed up in this movie. Where if this was an American movie, it would probably be very more like dramatic. Like oh my god, they're taking a house. We're gonna go to court. We're gonna take them down. You know, you can't handle the truth. Like it's gonna be very much like that. Whereas as an Australian movie, like this is legitimately what it would be like. This is how we are. We kind of just always go ah yeah, no, it'll be fine. Mm. Like it'll 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 work out itself. You know, and that's kind of just how we are as people. So I think kind of... I want to this... see the prequel of <laughs> what's-his-name going to jail. Where they're like, oh, it'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's where we get this with the lawyer. It's like, you you um, looked after Wayne. He got eight years. Well, you did your best. <laughs> 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 that's exactly what it would be like. Like, that is how it is. <laughs> Um, another quick, there's two other bits here that I forgot to mention. Uh, you talk about the prices, right? There's a reference here when they're like, you know, dad always have to have the TV turned down. The only time that we'd be watching TV is Hey Hey It's Saturday or the best of Hey Hey It's Saturday. Now, Hey Hey It's Saturday was basically like a, a variety show uh, every Saturday night. It was on TV for about 25 years. Um, it was just an iconic show and basically... You had like a host, um, you would then, they would like maybe that week, um, you know, Britney Spears would be in town, so she would be on the show, she would perform, but then you would just like have random things. So we had this segment called Pluck a Duck, and it was basically (laughs) a person dressed in a duck suit who would get somebody from the audience and you would spin a wheel and you'd win a prize, but like Pluck a Duck was a little bit mischievous and a little bit naughty and like just would do random things which you wouldn't get away with on television today. Uh, And then you had this segment, like the bit where he goes, Gong him red! So, like, they'd have a talent show every week on this show called Red Faces where you'd have three acts that would come on each week and you would have someone who, I'm going to play the Australian National Anthem on spoons and I'm going to yodel and here's a, an act of, like, swallowing swords. And then, basically, you would have this uh, Australian... Uh, he was in a band, but then he sort of became a, a, a television host, radio host called Red Simons, and he would have this giant gong where we would bang it to stop the act uh, and then they would each rate them out of ten. Just... Random stuff, like it's just really a random television show. They brought it back uh, like 10 years ago for like a reunion and then I think it made like global headlines because they had a Red Faces act where a group came out and did like a parody of the Jackson 5, yet they wore blackface. And uh, Harry Connick Jr. was on, as a judge, and he basically almost walked out. Like, you know, if you did that in America, you know, you'd be getting in trouble right now. And everyone in Australia was like, what? What? What do we do? <laughs> like, that was Justin Trudeau's favorite right there. <laughs> it was, well, Justin Trudeau was part of that little parody group, funnily enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I'm actually reading here that apparently in the American version of this movie, they changed the wording of that to funniest home videos. Because we yeah, had I read that, that in Australia as well. And there's a couple of other little references here. Like when she mentions Rissol, they changed it to Meatloaf. And when they re- mentioned Two Stroke, they changed it to a diesel engine. Um, so I kind of find that weird. I didn't realize that Rissol and Two Stroke were Australian terminologies. But there you go. I, I, I would have gotten Two Stroke, although it would have been, you think for a second, I definitely wouldn't have gotten Rissol. Weird. So there you go. That is definitely something that I didn't realize was an Australian thing. Rissal. <laughs> we would have Rissals as a kid for dinner, and like legitimately, my mum and dad would go, "Guess what's for dinner? Rissal." <laughs> is it basically meatloaf? It, it's just basically like a meat patty. Like I, it, it's mm. kind of almost like a hamburger, but flatter, and you wouldn't have it in a bun. Oh That's... yeah, here they call that Salisbury steak. Oh, okay, there you go. 
Um, yeah, I mean, meatloaf is, yeah, sort of, but meatloaf is more, it's a different, yeah, but um, anyway. Um, and the other bit I love is when he's with the council guy, um, and he's like, oh, you know, what's what's the soil like or something like that? Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's been tested. Yep, no, we're pretty right. What do you know about lead? <laughs> like, okay, this guy's living in a death trap, <laughs> basically. Uh, but anyway, we, we're going to meet maybe the star of this movie, Dennis Denudo, the lawyer. Yeah. Oh. Now, the guy who plays him, um, Terrell Mora, now, he is also in Frontline, and he's one of the three main stars in Frontline, and he kind of plays the real, like, hardened journo who's been around for a long time and he's kind of sick of his job. Um, the character in that's called Martin D'Astasio, who's just fucking hilarious. And, like, he actually has not done a whole lot more since. Like, he, I think he was in an ad campaign for a while for Qantas, I believe. Um, I also think he was in Farscape as well. I don't know if you ever watched that show in the early 2000s. Um, but he didn't, like, he's one of these ones who is just, it's weird that he didn't go on to do a lot more after these shows, because you, any Australian sees this guy, they automatically, oh, he's a guy from the castle, he's a guy from the front line, because he's just so known for those roles, and he's so good, but yeah, he didn't really do a whole lot more after this, but Dennis Denudo, who's basically a small town barrister, he's got his, like, a little office above, like, a Kodak Express place or something like that, (laughs) and, uh, you know, just the innocence of... Um, Daryl here, who's all but like, yeah, but you're a lawyer. You know the law. Like, you can help out with this. And then basically Dennis is essentially the the voice of Colin. Like, you're the one going like, just take the money. And yeah. He's basically like the realistic one. Like, like this is federal law. Like, I don't know this. You're not going to win. Um, and Daryl just has no clue. He just doesn't understand. So um, he's just like, oh, I'll leave it with me. I'll have a look. Uh, we kind of get crossed between the dinner table. I think this is the chicken seasoning moment. Uh, mm. What do you call this chicken? Se- and this might be the the dugger hole bit actually, and then the hey oh, hey yeah. Saturday bit. It is because um, this is when um, Dale's all like, "Oh yeah, we'd have good nights, but then sometimes I'd get sad because I'd just think about Wayne." <laughs> you just cut to like Wayne in jail looking at the um the bit. Um. And is this the bit where they're talking... I think it is. It's just before we pick up Eric Banner from the airport. When It's just another one of these random scenes, which, again, it's not really funny, but it's for some reason it's just every Australian finds it funny. When it's like, Dad, you've got to move the car. Can you get to the Tirana so we can get to the Corolla? Oh, yeah, I better move that Gemini before I can get to the Commodore. Like, he's basically got, like, four different cars in the driveway. Very bogan, as you would. <laughs> and they're all basically, for the most part, they're all brands of Holden, which is... Well, until about two weeks ago, because they've just basically pulled the plug on the brand. Uh, Australia's car, like that was Australia's iconic um, brand of car. So just a random little scene that so many people will mention. But they get Eric Banner from the airport and the daughter. And again, it's like, oh, it's really convenient because we lived next to the airport. Uh, which was uh, the line at the very beginning of the movie, which I forgot, when it's like, we live right next to the airport, which will be very convenient if we ever fly one day. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but like, I love how that you just see them walking back from the airport, um, and they're just telling like their stories. And this is, this is what it was like. I don't know if you ever had things like this growing up, but like in like the nineties as a kid, I, I never flew. Like I basically flew yeah. once when I was five and then I wouldn't fly again until I was 16. So like, cause airfares were very expensive. Like you didn't have 
cheap air flares. You know, in Australia, like you would cost you like four hundred dollars to fly from Hobart to Melbourne, which you just couldn't afford. So like this would be a thing. My mum every now and then would go to Sydney because um, her dad, my grandfather, lived in Sydney, so she'd go and see him. So every time she came back, we would sit on the couch or in the car on the way back, and we'd be like, "Oh, tell us about it. What's Sydney like?" You know, because you wouldn't be posting on social media and things like that. So this mm. was legitimately how it would be. So I just love this bit where they're like explaining their trip. One of these random bits that is quoted all the time. It's like, oh, what what was the food on the plane? Oh, it was chicken and beef wellingtons. Oh, what are those? Oh, it, it's beef wrapped in pastry. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just one of these random lines that is said. What movie but did I, they show? Oh, <laughs> Daniel is <laughs> the best. What movie did they show? Uh, Twister. Oh, what was the other movie? Uh, Jumanji. Uh, what was the movie? What did they show first? Uh, uh, Twister. What movie did they show on the way back? Dale. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get that later on with the whole there was kickboxing on a channel 24 hours a day and I was yeah. like what number channel was it on uh one <laughs> <laughs> oh it's just so funny and then like they get all the bunch of gifts and like the narration what is it like um oh got a genuine rolex for mum for only 15 dollars. the guy said he'd mail the warranty later <laughs> And then gets the letter opener. It's, oh, that's going straight to the pool room. Oh, no, Dad, you should use that. It's like, no, nope, going Not straight. Even out of the package. Straight to the pool room. And then I love it when he's like, uh, Dale's got the shark tooth. And Stephen Curry, like, Stephen Curry's hilarious. I love him. He's just one of these random actors who is just so funny. And I always forget that this is like he's in this movie because he looks so different in this movie to what he looks like today. But I love it when he's like looking at the shark tooth. It's like, oh, i got a shark tooth ne- ne- necklace. And he's kind of looking at it. And like he almost doesn't like it. And he's got the elephant. Mm-hmm. It's like they got, a, they got Wayne an elephant trunk with the trunk up. And that brings good luck. And luckily this elephant had its trunk up. So that was going to bring good luck. Um, and then he like brings it to the jail and um, he loves it Wayne loves it Uh, and then we get to uh, again another extremely quotable moment of this movie we're going to Barney Doon we're going to Barney Doon we're going down and he just keeps singing it under his breath Um, they even set it up with like there's a song he always sings and it's not a song he's just repeating himself (laughs) over and over again but this is something that like on road trips people will sing like we're going to Launceston like no one would say that in Hobart but like you know like we're going to Winnipeg we're going to Winnipeg (laughs) people will do this Bonnie Doon's a real place um, and the holiday home that the holiday home that they go to is, uh, it was about a year or two ago, there was a big news story about the fact that it's uh, now an Airbnb, so that the owner of it, like, has, and, like, people flock to it, like, tourists will go to stay there, to say that they've stayed at the castle holiday home. Um, and I just love this whole explanation around the holiday home. It's like, Dad couldn't understand why he got the land so cheap, and you just see, like, these giant power lines on the, yeah. on the land. <laughs> and again, this is just the simplicity of this family, like... Be honest, this looks like a dump, Bonnie Doon. Like, no yeah. one would go there, but, like, he loves it. And, like, you mentioned before about how kind of, like, this movie is handled so well that a lot of movies might really poke fun at these people and that you really are meant to kind of laugh at how, you know, terrible they are. But you just, you can't help but just love them because they're just mm-hmm. so simple and they just admire everything so simplistic about their lives. And, again, a very Australian way about it. This is how so many people are in Australia. Um, and we also outside the Bonnie Doom bit, I would maybe say the most quoted line in this movie is 
How's the serenity? Ah, the serenity. That everyone says it in Australia. That and the pool room would be probably the two most that they use here. Mm. And it's just, I, I really like the, the bit here where they're basically intersecting between them on the boat. And it's like, Dad thought that was not the only thing better than uh, Serenity was the sound of a two-stroke engine going at full speed. And you, and then you kind of got them on the lake, and it's all like loud. You got this really cheesy music playing in the background, and it keeps like oh, cutting is it between ever cheesy. <laughs> and they keep cutting between that and uh, the daughter and the mum basically getting their hair done. Um, I just like some of the little random bits, like on the boat. I love it when there's on the boat. Oh, look at that! What? over there and like kind of tails like this dumb looking he's like look dude, what's looking over there and he's talking about his um his fishing rod like look bend straight over itself and you talk about cheesy like i absolutely love the bit where they've got this ding 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 music playing and you've got these like really over the top facial expressions of them fishing like going like ah oh, fishing look at me catching a fish and it's just so cheesy and hilarious. Yeah, maybe too much. <laughs> but then I love it when they cut back to like this just subtle hair cutting, you know, conversation. And like the bit there with the daughter when she's like, oh, yeah, so I was talking to Jenny. Jenny, Jenny. No, no, other Jenny. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's a thing that you guys do in Canada, but that is legitimately something we do here. So like Mallory will be like, oh, yeah, I went to work with Colin. Oh, Colin, Colin. No, smelly Colin. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> Like you just, Wait, am I you smelling just, Colin? No, no, you're Colin Colin. We know another oh, Colin. Good. He stinks. Um <laughs> don't actually know another Colin, by the way. Or do I know another Colin? Um no. Actually no, I do know another Colin, funnily enough. He worked with him at the Commonwealth Games. There we go. It clicked. Hello, he Colin. Does who, he does. He's bald. That makes him smell. <laughs> uh, you know what they say about short hair, right? Um <laughs> But yeah, and the, even the mum here getting her hair done, there's like another little bit like, I'd love to do pottery. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just like a little bit. And maybe this is one of those really random ones that I just absolutely love. Like when they, they come back from the boat and um, the mum's got the, the plate of meat, they're about to cook it up, and then all of a sudden Steve comes back with the chicken coop. Like, Dad, where do you want the chicken coop? Yeah. It's like, oh, just around the back. And it's like, oh, what do we want with a chicken coop? What do we want with a holiday home? And she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just that line is so bogan Australian, but I just absolutely love it. And we kind of get like a nice little, you know, montage here playing with music. I believe this is Paul Kelly. This isn't like um, uh, Good Cop, uh, Bon Cop, Bad Cop. Uh, not Bon Cop, Bad Cop, but sorry. Uh, Men with Bruins, how you're saying like these are all... Very well-known Canadian songs. Um, I mean, Paul Kelly's a very well-known Australian singer, but this song that's in this movie, I couldn't tell you what it is, but it's <laughs> definitely Paul Kelly. Um, but it's just kind of like a nice little, quick little montage of showing them being happy. You've got Eric Banner doing his kickboxing and uh, practicing. They've got the dogs up there. Uh, I love the dinner com- dinner table conversation with Eric Banner when it's basically like, oh, Mr. Kerrigan, I- Dale, sorry, Dale. Um, uh, Daryl, sorry, Daryl and Dale, so Australian names. Um, and I love it when Daryl's basically like, so why would I want to leave here and go somewhere overseas? And it's like, oh, Dad, it's for young people. <laughs> it's about the culture, Dale. Uh, like, and he starts talking about, uh, what, like, Walkmans. Like, oh, you could get a Walkman with preset? Yeah, with preset for $75. Wow, is that good? Shit, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just like the way. Random conversations. And then this all ends with them sitting on the deck. How's the serenity? And you just hear this buzz, buzz, buzz. Yeah, the buzz zapper. Oh, the serenity. Buzz, buzz, buzz. 
I thought there was something wrong with the audio on the file you got me at that point. <laughs> no. Like, I can't hear it. I'm turning it up. I'm like, oh, it's a bug zapper. Okay. <laughs> that, um, it's a random one that it reminded me of in the water boy when it's like, uh, they're eating snake for dinner and it's like, oh, and what's for dessert? And you hear, bzz, 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 and Kathy Bates is like, squirrel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Um, yeah, I might cap it there. I mean, that's only about another 10 minutes, but we're essentially halfway through the movie now. So I think we kind of like cap it when we get here about to some of the court stuff because we can obviously lump a lot of that in together. But uh, yeah, Bonnie Doon uh, and the honeymoon, essentially. And, and and the lawyer, of course, Dennis. One thing we haven't mentioned on the wife yet is the fact that uh, the, the, the father, uh, what's his name? Uh, Daryl. Not Dale, that's right, Daryl. Daryl, yeah, Daryl and Dale. (laughs) Daryl is always like, yeah, she should open a shop. And then when you see her, like, arts and crafts are hideous, (laughs) there's one where there's, like, a light cover. Yes. But it looks like a pinata that's been broken open. (laughs) And, yeah, everything she does, like, oh, you should open a shop. And you're like, wow, that just looks so bad. Uh, But, again, it, it endears you to the family because the way he plays it is, like, he actually believes this. Um, yeah, I love all the gifts they come back with, uh, like the elephant brings you good luck. The trunks are up and the trunk was up. Uh, <laughs> and then the shark tooth necklace too. Cause like of all the presents, I'm like, Oh, that's the one I want. I'm like, cause I actually have a couple of like shark. T- uh, we got one, we were in the Bahamas. And then when my sister went to Mexico, she got me a shark tooth necklace. I'm like that's the cool present. That's some <laughs> elephant with his trunk up. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a forest gump of this movie. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, the the uh, the the Eric Bana thing that this is what's interesting because he, he has a very small role in this movie and he's definitely not the flashiest character, but like you could tell he has comic skills because it's hard to pull off that whole when he's constantly being interrupted and he's still being so play. Uh, it was a uh, twister, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's just going on and on. Uh, but this was the weirdest thing I think for anybody in North America when they discovered that Eric Bana was a comedian before mm. he made it big in movies. And even when you go through his filmography, he made this movie, and the next movie he made was Chopper. Yeah. And then the next movie is Black Hawk Down, and the next movie is Hulk. And I, how does he even get a movie like Chopper? That's what's confused me because he did come from sketch comedy. And I remember when my brother and I, you know, we were big Eric Bana fans. My mom was an even big, bigger Eric Bana fan. I think I mentioned that before, uh, different reasons. But um, when we discovered that he had done comedy, we're like, we got to see this. And this is before. I think really the only Hollywood comedy movie he made was, uh, if you want to call it that, was Funny People, uh, the Adam Sandler one, which you know was the funniest movie ever about a person dying of cancer, I guess. Um, <laughs> but he was still funny in that movie playing the straight man. But when you see the Eric Bana show in Full Frontal, you're like, well, this guy actually was like a legitimate comedian. And it's just so weird to think how he goes from that to making this movie, I guess, right away after doing the Eric Bana show. And then Chopper. (laughs) And then he becomes a massive movie star. Like, like, where's the transition from a guy who never worked in drama to suddenly do? I mean, Chopper's probably got to be the still to this day, the most dramatic thing he's ever done. Like, did he do any dramatic TV? No, I mean, I'm just I'm reading here actually a little bit about it because I, I remember it sort of being talked a lot about at the time when he was cast because, I mean, yeah, as you said, like known for comedy and, and Chopper was always going to be a bit of a, a, a strange movie because, I mean, the guy that the movie is based on was, you know, very revered in, in Australia, kind of everyone knew who he was. Um, so it was a bit of a talking point, I remember, when that happened. But I'm just reading here that basically um, the director of that movie uh, had been trying to find someone for five years um, and then Chopper Reed himself suggested Eric Banner. 
uh, having mm. seen him perform a skit on television, um, even though he'd never done any dramatic roles. But, uh, I mean, it's one of these ones where it's like, um, you know, I guess like when you first saw Jim Carrey do something like The Truman Show or something like that, like you didn't expect that. Um, and then, well, Michael you know, Keaton really- is Batman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, um, I mean, and t- talking about funny people, like I mean, when you see Adam Sandler do something a little bit serious, yeah. like, you realise these actors have that range. Um, and it's, yeah, it is, it is kind of strange now that pretty much everyone assumes Eric Banner's a dramatic actor. But yeah, God, for most Australians in the 90s, we only knew him as kind of the, the, mm-hmm. the comedy guy. And he's just as good at comedy as he is as drama. Oh, yeah. He's a great he's, actor. He's brilliant. He's, he's, he's hilarious. hilarious. Yeah. And it's such a different style of comedy too. Like, like he's yeah. good at the straight man type of comedy, which is basically what he's doing here, but he can still bring humor to it. Uh, yeah. Their little vacation spot. Like I was wondering if this was a real place. Um, <laughs> obviously you're saying like the, their specific spot, their cabin or whatever, it's supposed to look like a dump, but is Bonnie Dune like, this is where the poor people go for vacation. Like, is, is this a nice spot outside of, their particular location I, I would probably say before this movie was ever released it would just be one of these random places that people go to like um yeah i mean I, I i think it's in victoria i mean god i'd never heard of it till i saw this movie and i think the majority of australians would be exactly the same but since this movie uh yeah people go there now purely because of this movie yeah that's crazy uh, th- like I, that's one thing that i will say this because the success of this is probably on level with bond cop bad cop you know it was a movie that made as much money as any big Hollywood movie, even though it was just this small, low-budget, homegrown movie. But I don't think that Bon Cop, Bad Cop has you know that going for it, where people are going to be visiting the Ontario Quebec sign and taking pictures of themselves <laughs> hanging, you know, uh, dangling off of it or anything like that. Uh, this seems to be something I, I think there is a lot of Australian stuff in this movie. I think that the humor really would work no matter. You know who you are, but when they're mentioning the place like Bondune, I was actually curious. I thought, would this fit perfectly if this is just like the worst vacation spot that like nobody would ever go there? Uh, but you're saying it was basically just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's nothing. It's big. one of those random places that, yeah, like I mean, I, I I don't think it's renowned as like a a crap hole that people go to, but um, it's just a place that no doubt Victorians went to, and it just got a bit more famous after the castle. Uh. Maybe the most subtly hilarious line in this movie is uh, when Dale's narrating about fishing. He says, Dad says that fishing is 10% brains and 95% muscles. <laughs> and just, and just then he says, the rest was the just good there. luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the rest. The rest was good luck. <laughs> the rest. Uh, but I had to rewind that part. I'm like, wait, did I just hear what I think I heard? <laughs> Um, and then even the, just the little things that like, again, if you explain it, you're like, it sounds funnier, but in a way it just endears you to the characters when they have all these stakes or whatever. And then he reveals it. Who ordered the medium rare? And this thing is burnt to a crisp. <laughs> and he calls that medium rare. <laughs> uh, I love that steak. whole, like, yeah, <laughs> that, that whole, you know, dinner table scene. And it's basically right after this. So they go home when the guy shows up with the second offer, right? Uh, pretty much, yeah. There's a couple of little scenes beforehand, but yeah, it's all pretty much yeah. there. Yeah, and maybe maybe this is another thing I was saying earlier. What with the the whole idea about the house just gets lost because they throw this big thing at you, like, uh, oh, we're going to you know lose our house, and then the next scene, oh, their daughter and son-in-law came back from vacation, and nobody really mentions it, and then oh, we're gonna go to our you know cabin, and nobody really mentions it, but. I mean, it doesn't take away from this stuff of the movie. I think, I, I think in a way, this stuff works almost better than the dramatic story. But it is a little bit strange that 
you've introduced this and now for two major scenes of the movie you've just dropped it there's a couple of bits where they do mention it though like kind of like oh you're a bit worried about monday and just like nah nah like when it's getting your hair done and then kind of you hear it as they're driving up and then they kind of cut to it but um i mean mm-hmm. i definitely see your point i just think it's kind of it's just it's meant to show that this family again is just you know they're just like oh, yeah, she'll be right it'll be fine and we're going to get that in this sort of first court scene where kind of Tarrell's just walked in just assuming he knows the law and is going to just go away um, did you have anything to add on Dennis before we move on? No, I mean, his best stuff still to come. Like, I'm, I'm 100% with you. Uh, I was wondering whether I would be alone in this, if this would be, like, the the character. I'm like, oh, this character is great. And you're like, oh, nobody really talks about him much. But, look, I'm so glad to hear that you love this character, too, because he was by far the best thing in this movie. Yeah, no, he, he yeah, gets talked about a lot. I mean, that vibe speech that I talk about, that's, again, another yeah. one of these ones that people talk and, about all the time. <laughs> when you're talking about the positivity, I think also just the fact that he... He looks so defeated, even even outside of this case. Like this is the lawyer. You walk into the office, and he's just this is this is um, uh, Alan Alda and the Marriage Story. It's the guy, mm. <laughs> you know. He he's he knows he's never going to be a success. It's like oh, I'll just roll with it. But like he's just oh, I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be doing this. I don't know the law. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. It, it might it almost might be a case with him when I was saying about how sort of the actor didn't go into a whole lot more because I mean you do watch Frontline his character is very similar like he's kind of as I said he's the journo that's been around for a long time he's seen it all kind of like nothing's new to him so he's kind of you, you almost think he hates his job and he's just kind of getting on with it because he's doing it you know what I mean so kind of he's very similar in Frontline but I think that um, you know he definitely pulls it off very well so it's kind of it's definitely one of these you know if you, you are typecast in a certain role then clearly there's a reason behind it because you're good at it so yeah um we get our first court scene and just daryl in court trying to argue it it's a law of bloody common sense um it's like you know you can't buy what i've got it's like what is your case in law all right well the law is meant to be right and fair and this isn't right and fair this this is unfair yeah (laughs) I rest my case. And you got Farouk in the back in the chair. I do love the moment where kind of Daryl turns and sees Farouk's there and obviously realises what he's wearing because he's wearing just like a red sweater and just like overalls and he kind of gives him a double look. And then later on it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I think you should wear a suit to court. And he's going to come into suit like a tuxedo, basically, into court. But um, I love it when he sort of, you know, I rest my case and Farouk stands up and he's kind of like, I claps his hands. <laughs> but unfortunately, they lost. Uh, we get our Forrest Gump narration. Dad was wrong. Um, and so kind of, you know, they're disappointed sitting around the table. We've got Farouk, one of my favorite lines in this whole movie, when he's trying to explain about, you know, uh, landowners, come over here and say that plane flyover, decrease value. In Beirut, plane flyover, drop bomb. I much prefer these plane. <laughs> like, just. A oh, random little line that I absolutely love. Um, but again, Aussie battler, Daryl's not going to give up despite this defeat. And we go back to see Dennis and we get one of our great uh, little moments of um, Dennis versus the copying machine. <laughs> what the fuck is this doing? I press fucking F3. Where the fuck is that? <laughs> Can't you get your lady to do that? I can't. She only comes on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Friday. What the fuck is going on here? (laughs) So funny. Um, uh, I should have mentioned, so the the offer for the house is 65,000. So very shortly, we're going to kind of get uh, the sort of the deal under the table. Um, Because Daryl here is just basically like, no, you know the law. You're going to get this done. And then Dennis... 
essentially uh, we see him working late, talking into like a dictaphone thing, and then he starts typing it up again, kind of writing this letter to, uh, I guess, the uh, the developers of Airlink to say that they're going to dispute this case. Uh, there's a random little scene I do like when Daryl's sitting on the couch with the daughter and he's basically like, you know, what do these models have that you don't have? They've got ripper bods, but they let it down in the hair yeah. department. Now that's a head of hair that you've got. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the fact that he just loves his daughter. Yeah, he loves it so much. And then I love Steve walking in here. Dad, what's a pulpit? Oh, it's where the priest gives his sermon. Oh, what does he want for it? $800? Dreaming. <laughs> um, and I do also like the bit where kind of like he's um laughing about sending in a naked home video photo of her. He, Dad, don't you dare! Dad, if you dare! Uh, and then I love Dale walking in, kind of having a bit of a laugh. And then like, oh, then I started thinking about Wayne, wondering if the elephant's trunk was still up. <laughs> and then you just cut to him laying in bed with the elephant trunk still up. Um... We, I also like this bit where you've kind of got the mum in the kitchen and I don't know what she's doing with craft. She's like gluing some shirt or something. And then Daryl's up in the roof and he's basically like, oh, yeah, no, the beams won't support the mezzanine. <laughs> what he's doing. Um, and then this is, is this when he's like, oh, yeah, he's going to hold the, is this a jousting six bit? It's like, oh, I'm going to build, hold something for the top and the roof. I don't know. But then Dale walks in, dad, dug another hole, fill him with water. <laughs> <laughs> Just so random. Um, cut to Dennis getting a visit from this uh, shady lawyer guy, essentially, from uh, the Airlink company. Now, um, this guy is a... Um, I'm trying to find the actor's name. He is... There was a... I think I've, we've talked about it before, maybe. During the Sydney Olympics, they did a sort of like a mockumentary-style show, basically, on the Sydney Organising Olympic Committee. And it was kind of just a, a direct parody of... Um, them trying to organise the Olympics, and it was called The Games, and it's very, very funny. I highly recommend it. I nearly made my top 50 shows of all time, and there's like a, you know, there's a famous sketch where basically you've got these organisers coming up to the organising committee going, okay, so we've we've finished the 100-metre track for the 100-metre sprint. Uh, just one slight problem, though. Um, we ran out of track, so it's actually only 97 metres long. Um, and they basically got this long ongoing talk going like, oh, do you not see a problem with that? No, no, no one will ever know. It's like, oh, okay, so when somebody breaks the world record by three seconds, you don't think people are going to know? Um, so this lawyer guy was one of the three main people who was uh, in that show. Uh, again, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's been in a few other things. But he's basically here threatening them, you know, subtly threatening them, like, oh, we've grossly underestimated the value. We can give an extra $20,000 and that can just be on the side. Uh, you know, I highly recommend the taking this because you don't want to make us angry, basically. And Dennis is like, are you threatening me? No, I'm simply making a nice little uh, arrangement here. You know, I'm sure your client will take it. And then we cut to Daryl. Tell him to get stuffed. <laughs> Which is so Australian. And then Dan Dennis basically just being, you know, again, the voice of Colin, essentially. Like, I highly recommend you take this money. Yeah. <laughs> Tell him to get stuffed. <laughs> Goes through it again. Um, another uh, dinner table scene. This is a bit where the mum basically tells a story of how she met uh, Daryl, and it all comes down to the fact that you know he um, he just you know he had principles, and that's what your father is. <laughs> 
Um, mm. I do love the bit where it's like, oh, what is this? Ice cream. Yeah, but it's different. What did you do with it? Scooped it out of the punnet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just the simplicity of it all. Uh, we get a knock on the door from a guy threatening, like, you know, take the money and fuck off. It's like, get out of my house. Fuck off, you bastard. Fuck off. And then Steve comes in with a gun. And I just love this moment where Daryl's like, what did I tell you after Wayne? No guns. Yeah, but I got off the trading post. What did he want for it? <laughs> Two, $250. What did you get for it? 180 He was dreaming. Yeah. Get rid of it. <laughs> Oh, so funny. Uh, in the middle of the night, there's a, a brick basically thrown on their car. So Daryl and Steve take a car to Turak, which is a very posh suburb of Melbourne, to their house and basically start threatening this guy. Get off my property or I'll call the police. Uh, I'm guessing this is the boss of Airlink. I don't think it's ever properly explained. Uh, so they end up stealing the gate <laughs> of this house to which the cop the next morning... Daryl John Kerrigan, you know who I am, Murray, or whatever his name is. It's like, where were you at this point? I was at home. Yeah, people can vouch for my whereabouts. It's like, look, I'm not here to arrest you. I'm just telling, calm down. Oh, and by the way, move the gate to the back of the house. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, 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 right. Yeah, good idea. So uh, we get this sort of fight. So we know that Dennis is taking them to court. Uh, We meet Farouk, Jack, and the other neighbor lady. I can't remember her name. Uh, And they're all going to chip in for some money, basically, to pay it. I love Farouk just pulls out the money. And um, Daryl's like, what is it with you, Wogs, and just carrying cash? Uh, Like... Again, it's just, a, I think, a thing around Greeks and Italians. They just always have money on them because, yes, that's a joke, apparently. I don't think you'd get away with that in 2020 now, but anyway. Um, and I do love Jack, you know, this sweet, innocent old man when it's kind of like coming down to it. Like, are you sure you want to do this? And Jack's just like, yeah, fuck him. <laughs> uh, then we get another court scene uh, with Dennis trying to fight through everything he's got his constitution trying to go through it yeah it's in the it's a disregard for the constitution and he's got this judge which part yep I'll uh, yep, um, just yep I'll get to it he'll love it when he's turned to down I'm fucking sweating here mate I don't know how to read Roman numerals <laughs> and he's like oh yeah page 52 section C and the judge is like trademarks <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's it's all part of it it's 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 the vibe the vibe it's, it's the vibe of it all it's like oh it's that um oh and he turns to, what's the name of that famous aboriginal kathy freeman no 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 the other one yvonne gulligan no 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 so, I'm sure you know who Kathy Freeman is, the runner who won gold in Sydney 2000, yeah. and then even Goolagong's a very famous tennis player. But that would just be like, you know, oh, who's that famous Canadian? Wayne Gretzky. No, 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 the other one. <laughs> Justin Bieber. No, 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 the other one. <laughs> and then it's like, Marbo. It's like, yes, what part of it? It's like, all of it. It's the vibe of it. It's, it's Marbo. It's Constitution. And I love it when he's like, may I approach the bench? And he goes, I was like, I'm not doing very well here, am I? And it's like... No, I don't think your case is very strong. It's like, oh, am I at least in the ballpark? Oh, I'm a judge. I can't tell you that. (laughs) I also love when they cut to Farouk. And Farouk, yeah, as I said before, is basically in a tuxedo. (laughs) It's like giving the thumbs up. (laughs) Um, They have an adjournment. Daryl goes outside. We're going to meet uh, Bud, in brackets, Tingwell for the first time. Uh, (laughs) Lawrence, uh, a QC, a retired QC. 
Uh, but we don't know that yet. Um, and I, I do love kind of just Daryl here, like, you know, oh, yeah, what, what are you here for? Oh, yeah, no, my son's making his first appearance today. Oh, you think he's going to get off? I'm like, no, 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 he's he's a, he's a lawyer. Like, it's going to be his first case today. <laughs> it's like, oh, he'd have to have a degree for that, wouldn't he? It's like, yes, yes, no, he, he has a couple. <laughs> just so innocent and funny. He kind of, you know, drops the ball, tells him a bit of his story and... Um, He's obviously going to come back and play a part of it. And then they come back uh, from the uh, adjournment and uh, I, f- I find in favour of the respondent. And Daryl's like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> so good. Dennis is like, that's not us. <laughs> so uh, they've basically um, lost and then we kind of get a bit of a, a downer moment here where for the first real time, really, Daryl is defeated, essentially. So... He knows he has to move. Um, he's slowly starting to pack up. We've got a bit of Wayne in jail, you know, sort of saying that he's going to fight for it. We get a nice... I like the little moment here when, like, Steve comes in and sort of, you know, is like, Dad, you know, just you know, just to think you didn't let us down. If there was the opposite of letting us down, you did that. Um, you know, nice little moment there because clearly it's a family. I don't think that really shows their emotions that much when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, nice little moment. Uh, and I might just sort of cap it here when we get the return of Lawrence uh, back into the house uh, after, you know, it looks all is defeated. They're not going to be able to save their house at all. Uh, I don't have too much to add. I, I, I do love the uh, absurdity of a hired goon showing up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, that, that In a way, it kind of took me out. I think that was a more comedy thing, and it kind of took me out of the story that they're sending hired goons to the door. If you know it's good for you, <laughs> you'll sell the house. Um, that was like, the I also they... missed the bit when Farouk, sorry to interrupt, but like the bit when um, Farouk says like, man, come visit my house. And he's like, you know, you sell, fuck off. And I said, I got friend, he put bomb in your house, blow him into a fucking sky. I'm Arab, <laughs> everyone think I have bomb. <laughs> um... Yeah, well, they they go with the the gates. I mean, it was so funny when they actually said move the gates at the end. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, a, a couple of things here. Um, I don't even know if you still have picked up on this, but the son who's always trying to buy something. Um, I can't remember his name now. Steve. Y- yeah, when he asks, uh, "Dad, you want an overhead projector?" and they ask like how much it is. Do you notice that later on when he's gathered all the neighbors there that they're using an overhead projector even though he said no to it earlier? Uh, I mean, I, I, I know that he's using the projector, but that, I didn't put two and two together, actually. That's quite yeah. funny. <laughs> he just he had change of heart, and he's like, okay, I'll go with it. <laughs> I, I want to see the scene where he bargains for the overhead projector. Um, <laughs> and, and the way that they come back, like how smarmy they are, it's like, it seems that we undervalued the property. <laughs> we made a clerical mistake. Uh, but... I was kind of looking at this differently, and I don't know if it was in this scene, or I think it is coming up at the end here. This is where I went from take the money, take the money to, oh, okay, you know, obviously this is a more personal thing. When they're offered, what was it, 65 originally, and they offer them 25 on top of that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then the end, when they do realize that it's done, they have to be out in two weeks. And they're looking for houses and they say, you know, oh, we found this $80,000 or whatever, I guess is what's in their budget. And they were saying how little space it was. So that's one of the things, again, I I don't think it just has to be an Australian thing. I mean, every market's completely different. You know, a house may go for $300,000 in Winnipeg and the exact same house is going to go for $1.5 million in Vancouver, obviously. Um, But uh, I didn't – it never actually – 
clicked with me that this was more than just a stubborn family who really liked this dump of a house until you realize like they put whether I see it as ridiculous or not the pool room or you know his half completed deck or anything like that the holes around it until you realize that what they put into this is still more valuable than what they're going to get walking away from it then the the superficial part of me was like oh this actually does make total sense now you know I'm, I'm sure the intention is supposed to be well they love this house no matter whether anybody else would or not but they at least backed it up with they're not going to get lot for their money so it, it is more this now the argument i would still have is even at this point even me being a little more sympathetic now like ask for another twenty thousand. <laughs> but uh, they never go there uh dennis's vibe speech i mean that that alone is will push this up in my ratings at the end uh that has got to be one of the most brilliantly delivered monologues or speeches i've ever seen and it is literally he's saying nothing and just continually <laughs> dropping just the vibe of it <laughs> he he may be the single worst lawyer since lionel Hutz. another simpsons thing here that's like uh the um lionel Hutz. i rest my case you rest your case oh sorry i thought that was just a figure of speech he is so lionel Hutz. he's just like the defeated you know down on his luck pretty much miserable with everything about his life lionel Hutz. it's just he's amazing the best part part still to come with it. My, my single favorite part of this entire movie still to come um i i i don't even know if you you know you're as high on as i'm gonna be but i i love one of the parts that's gonna come up with him but he is such a star in this movie um and yeah only other thing uh to mention when they uh uh when he goes up to the judge, i guess two other things to mention here when they go up to the judge he actually drops the line he's like could you just give me an angle, please, Judge? <laughs> can you give me an angle? And, and the way he – can I approach the bench? And he gets up, I need some help here, please. <laughs> it's just the absurdity of him. So good. Uh, and then, yeah, they say they have to be out in two weeks. But we are going to see that the appeal, they say, and three weeks later we're in the courtroom, like – you were out of the house a week ago, apparently. Like, I, there's, I don't know if that's a plot hole or if they say they got to stay because of this. I, I would assume because if there's an appeal, they probably don't have to go. That that would be mm. my well, it's, assumption. It's not, it's not even technically an appeal. They're going one step further. You know, mm. they, they're, uh, who knows? Uh, yeah, that's what I think favorite. it would be a loophole. Like, because yeah. they're taking it further, they don't have to leave. Yeah. Uh, they in favor of the respondent was hilarious too. Uh, and when um, uh, Forrest uh, goes to tell a uh, jailbird, what's his name? Uh, <laughs> Wayne. <laughs> Wayne. Okay. When he goes, to, I thought I should be the one to break it to him. Do I could do it more delicately? Is we lost Wayne. <laughs> 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 but again, not played as funny as it sounds. Just played in such a a nice way where you're like. I get the humor of that, but it's actually kind of sweet that this guy thinks that's the way it is. Yeah, the, my favorite part's coming up, though, so let's just keep the ball rolling. Um, I I love the bit when Laurie comes back to the house, and I, I don't know if this... I'm, I'm intrigued for your favorite bit, when um he's sort of, you know, like, oh, I wasn't completely honest about you, you know, I'm actually a retired QC, and it's like, oh, what's that? Like, oh, Queen's Council, like, oh, oh, wow, I don't think Dennis would have one of those. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Laurie's like, no, no, yeah, I don't think he would. Time, every time Dennis is brought up, that other lawyer is like, yeah, okay. Yeah. He's so nice. He's just going to like, no, no, you're right. Yes. Um, so he uh, works in constitutional law and he's going to come out of retirement to do this case and help him out and basically do it for no cost. And that's going to then take them essentially to the biggest court in the land, the High Court of Australia, um, 
He also, a bit of a reference to Tasmania there, he worked on the Tasmanian Dams case, which um, is basically in the early 80s, they were going to turn, they were going to dam a a big hydro river in Tasmania, essentially, to create, you know, more electricity. And it was just huge, huge uh, story nationally about, you know, no, we're not going to dam, we're not going to put this up. Um, and you know, big fight in the early eighties. I think that was real, a real kicker to like creating the green movement in Australia and everything. Cause it was all born in Tasmania and all that sort of stuff. So woohoo Tasmanian reference. Um, so we then go to the, the high court now in Canada. Cause I know obviously your Commonwealth nation, like we are, do your, I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming you have QCs, but do your sort of like high court lawyers, do they have to wear the wigs like we do? No. Yeah, that's the uh-huh. one difference. They don't have to wear everything else with the legal system is pretty much the same. But we just we we don't do the wigs. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. I think I I interviewed a lawyer here in New Zealand because she she'd become the re- region I'm from, the very first QC from this region, and she was like explaining about the wigs, about how like you know oh, it's just this weird traditional thing that we still have to wear. Like because yeah, I definitely know they do in Australia as well. Clearly, because you see it in this movie. But I mean, this is 23 years old now, and they still do wear them. So uh, very British. Um, I'd love to see Americans watching this going, what the hell are they wearing? Yeah. Um, but I do love kind of like this, this court sequence where, um, you know, Dennis gets to come along as sort of, uh, I guess, counsel to, to Laurie and he like looks oh, over God. and sees him passing notes. Oh, that's <laughs> he, the part! That's the part! <laughs> he like passes him a note, glass of water. And <laughs> And then look at it, it's the only time he smiles in the whole movie. He's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, what's the one he says later on when he's like, fucking great job or something like that when he passes the note when he wins? Oh, um, so funny. Um, but yeah, basically, long story short, they're going to win the case. Uh, there's a couple of nice little uh, speeches here. We we get sort of the the break in between proceedings uh, when like Daryl's basically about to punch the other lawyer when he's kind of like going on about um, you know brings up the son, um, and then uh, Daryl gives this sort of impassionate speech about it. You know, it's not a it's not a home. It's a it's, it's not a house. It's a home. You know, it's a castle. It's all this sort of stuff. And Laurie obviously uses that a lot in his speech, and they eventually win the day. Uh, Dennis has got a bit of tears in his eyes. And then I also love the bit like with Daryl at the end when he kind of looks over and he's like, you know, oh yeah, guys, good job. And they sort of give this little knowing little nod. It's like, you dickheads. (laughs) (laughs) And it was one of the bits where he's like, suffer in your jocks, you dickheads. So very Australian. Um, and then we basically get the closing of the movie. It makes national headlines, uh, which, I mean, let's be honest, a story like this would. They have a big wrap-up party. Um, we see uh, Laurie's son, as I said. It's Tony Martin. Brief little scene with him. Uh, then we find out that uh, Laurie and Daryl become really good friends. They go fishing all the time. Wayne gets out of jail, which is nice. Uh, Dennis becomes a bit more of a bigger lawyer. Uh, he has his own uh, sign outside that says, as seen on TV. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he even got himself a new photocopier. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then we see their house at the end of it. Uh, they've added the patio to it. Um, everyone's had kids, essentially. What was the, the, the subtle little bit with Steve when it's like, Steve even... Um, got back with his ex-girlfriend, and three months later they had a baby. <laughs> <So> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just 
like, again, he is really the Forrest Gump of these movies, isn't he? Um, the mum does take up pottery and the mugs look absolutely terrible. Uh, but again, they don't care. Um, Wayne's uh, going into Kerrigan and Sons towing and they've got a whole bunch of trucks now, flat trays and all that sort of stuff. And uh, it all ends with them, uh, you know, still living in the house. My name is Daryl and that's my story. Um, funnily enough, this I would actually say this house itself sold, I think, about two years ago because uh, they were going to demolish it because I think it was a very similar thing wherever it was. I don't think it's right next to the airport. I don't think that's correct. But wherever it was built, um, they were going to demolish it for um, a rent, a, some new area or something. So somebody bought it and basically, I think, took it on the back of a truck and moved it to Sydney now. So uh, that made the news a couple of years ago. But uh, anyway, the castle. The castle. Um one thing I just read, I guess, as a trivia thing, is that uh, just to show you how low budget, you know, Canadian Australian movies have to be because there's just not enough, you know, uh, money to go around, or you can't even make it enough. This movie made ten million. It made ten million dollars, basically. I guess we're gonna get to the box of Trosa later on, but mm-hmm. they cut the budget by naming the family Kerrigan because they could get a pre-existing tow truck that already said Kerrigan towing on it. Apparently, did, <laughs> did you read that? that? No, I yeah. did not know that. <laughs> so wow. the family name exists because of like, well, we don't even have to repaint the truck. Let's just do that. <laughs> uh, that's just amazing. Uh, yeah, Dennis is oh, – this. it's all about it. I know this is supposed to be like the – it is the dramatic part of the movie. There really aren't any laughs, and I think that's one of the reasons why this one part with a glass of water just – it cracked me up so hard. Uh, the build for it's so good too because uh, when they're you – know, um, Dale is narrating everything, and he even says, and Dennis was helpful too, passing books around like a librarian. You just realize that's all his job is, and then he's, he started to learn things about the law as well. And that's when you see him observing the co-counsels on the other side, writing things down and passing it. So he's like, hmm, anyway, so Dennis just starts to be glass of water. <laughs> With a question mark in big block letters. <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny. And the look on his face is like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. <laughs> oh, so good. And then I love the, like he said, the as seen on TV. I don't even know if, I, you know, everybody would spot that. It's so subtle. It's so good. Uh, the soundtrack really is terrible for this movie. Like there's a couple of songs that play. Uh, the song that plays at the end here was just, oh, it was awful. It sounded like something out of the early 80s, Only not 1997. just begun. That's what, yeah, I thought it sounded yeah. familiar. That's what the song is supposed to be. It's a cover by the iconic, it is. It's a, the, the iconic Australian singer, uh, Kate Sobrano, sings that song. I shouldn't joke, oh. she actually is a pretty popular singer in Australia, at least in the 90s she was, so, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. I, I, I pretty much run out of notes here because it was all just about Dennis. <laughs> he covered that all. <laughs> Uh, do you want me to pass you a note more notes yeah. <laughs> um yeah w- they don't really explain wayne getting out of prison or is that just they, they kind of do i think um they they sort of mentioned that laurie revisited his case and got him out on parole so i think it was like six months later or something like that yeah i really do like the lawyer's speech that he gives but I think this is another one of the things where I, I maybe it's just the runtime, like an hour and twenty one minutes. I think this movie could have been you could have made it ten ten minutes would go a long way in a movie this short, and it still would make it a nice quick movie. Uh, but he sort of introduces a couple things a lot. Like you, you get that this guy's in there because he knows the law, and then he comes in. He mentions one or two legal things, and then basically gives 
this impassioned speech, which Daryl basically gave as well. And I think that's one of the things that I didn't like as much about the the legal aspect of this movie that I think that he should have gone in there and just been like, there was this case and this case and this case and convinced them a little bit more on the law or, or maybe just a lot of the things he was mentioning to somebody who's not Australian wouldn't get a lot of these references or I don't know, 10 year old Ben obviously wouldn't have gotten the legal <laughs> references. But I just I wish that bringing in a seasoned lawyer, I wish that it would have been more than just he gave a nice speech because it does kind of make the ending a little bit more implausible. Like they're going to throw this all away, uh, risk lawsuits from the land developers or whatever, because, oh, this is their home. You can't take their home. I, I, I get the purpose of what the story is. Like I said, when they mentioned the aboriginal things earlier. That's when I meant that's when I, I clicked in. I'm like, OK, I get what this movie's about. And I really liked them being able to tell the story. But I think you still have to have some law in there if you're going to bring in this most highly qualified lawyer. Just a minor complaint, though, because I still do think it works really well. It's just, you know, 10 minutes could have done a lot to the end of this movie here. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the the Kerrigan and Sons thing, um, I guess this is just where everybody gets a happy ending. Uh the one complaint I have is the Kerrigan and Sons because I think this whole story is about the simplicity of this family. And I like that it's like – and he got his patio in the end. And to anybody else, you're like, oh, nice patio. That would be like the talking point even less than you said back in the day before social media. You know, somebody comes like, let me show you all the pictures from our vacations. Oh, boy. You know, that would be like, oh, come over. I'll show you the patio. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> Maybe I'll come over one of these days and I'll sit in the patio. <laughs> that's simplicity and i like that the, 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 oh and they had a kid three months later that was hilarious but the fact that like they had such a successful towing business they had like 18 trucks and i'm like i don't know if they need to go that far i think it actually goes against the whole point of the rest of the movie but again minor complaints uh all ended with a terrible song uh it's interesting you mentioned about the different court cases and stuff like that um i i think that what works over this movie is that like yeah, definitely you could add to it and you could make it a little bit more in-depth, but I think kind of like the simplicity, you sort of said at the very beginning, this is just a nice movie. I think that they yeah. definitely don't go out of their way to make it too complex and they kind of just drop a couple of references to things that were, I guess, relevant in Australia at that time or at least were within the last 10, 15 years that people still knew. Uh, I mean, the whole Marbo thing, basically, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about it, but from what I know, it was essentially... Um, uh, an Aboriginal man by the name of, I think his name was Eddie Marbo, and he had his land, he, he was basically claiming that this land is my land, this is my people's land, you guys took it away from me, like, unfairly, uh, and they he took him to the high court and they went through all, like, the laws from colonial times that the English implied on the country that essentially said that this land is ours, not yours, and he fought and won and basically got his land back, so a very simplistic explanation, it was a little bit more complex than that, I think, um, but yeah, so that's why they keep mentioning Marbo a bunch of times. And that was only, I think a few years before this movie. So it was still very relevant. Um, I didn't, I never really did notice, well, like that whole mention thing you mentioned about the truck thing. That's actually not a bad point. Um, but again, I don't think I really bothers me. <laughs> I just, you know, every time I watch this, this is one of those movies that every time I watch, I just want to watch again because it goes by so quickly and I'm like, God, I love that movie. Um, a couple of actually interesting things you mentioned about the trivia. I've never actually read the trivia on this movie, and a couple of things I find here quite interesting. Uh, it only took eleven days to film this movie, um, which is crazy. Like, it took me longer to film Kill Phil, so <laughs> <laughs> it did. Um, and apparently, this was made purely to raise funds to film the dish. 
So oh, wow. uh, there you go. And not that you would know who Eddie Maguire is, but uh, the BMW that Dennis drives at the end belonged to Eddie Maguire. He he basically a, a one of Australia's most you know, he'd be like Australia's uh, Regis, maybe. Um, I mean, he hosted Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, but uh, he's also the president of one of the Australian football clubs. He's he's a big media personality in Australia. Um, so that's kind of funny there. And there's actually a plot hole here, which I didn't ever pick up until right now. Uh, the moment I mentioned before about the when he gets the ashtray, he's like, an ashtray, but I don't smoke. At the end of the movie, he's smoking. So... Uh. Bit of a plot hole there, or maybe he well, took up he, he 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 took it up because he loved the gift so much. <laughs> yeah, you, you could explain that away, mate. That's that's probably very very true. Um, you mentioned about the box office. Oh yeah, ten point three million. This movie made at the box office, which is thirteen times its seven hundred fifty thousand dollar budget. Uh, rumored that uh, Miramax in the states bought the rights of this for six million dollars. Um, and yeah, it actually it did okay in the states when it came to sort of the reviews. Like Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars. And this is maybe where the Full Monty reference came from because he said one of those comic treasures like the Full Monty and walking, uh, sorry, Waking Ned Divine that shows its characters in the full bloom of glorious eccentricity. I haven't seen the Full Monty in a long time, but I do love that. Do you like the Full Monty? Yeah, I love that. In fact, it's, it's funny when, you know, we were comparing it earlier on. I hadn't even read that review and I was thinking to myself, you know another movie that this kind of reminds me of is Waking Ned Divine. <laughs> we're smart like Waking Roger Ned Ebert. Divine. Oh, mm, we should I check mean, it. We'll do it in a future year. <laughs> done. Um, and uh, it's currently got 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but, like, it's, it's actually really interesting because, again, I, I was 10 when this movie came out, so I don't I don't know when I first saw it. It surely would have been not that long after this movie came out. But um, I don't remember the hype or sort of everything happening around it. But it's just definitely something that the more I grew up, the more it sort of got entrenched in Australian culture. And I kind of... I, I don't know if it had this in, instant impact on Australia uh, 23 years ago, but, I mean, it definitely has now. Uh, I mean, it, it really, as I said at the beginning and sort of throughout this month, it really would be, I would say, a movie that the majority of Australians would say would be their favourite Australian movie or is the best Australian movie. It's just, it just it's hold that, held that highly in Australia, Australian culture. Uh, I mean, it, it also went on to, to win a couple of awards uh, what what they're, they're now called the Actor Awards in Australia. They used to be called the AFI, the Australian Film Industry Awards. Um, it won Best Original Screenplay that year for uh, Santo, Tom, Jane and Rob. Uh, Michael Caton was nominated for Best Actor, didn't win. Uh, Bud Tingwell was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, didn't win. And Sophie Lee, the daughter, who I feel like we spoke about the least in this movie, uh, she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress but didn't win either. So um, Did she yeah, win Best all- Hair? Probably. I reckon. Um, more, most importantly, it was also nominated for the Bronze Horse at the Stockholm International Film Festival, but sadly didn't win. Um, I don't know if you got anything. I'll see if there's any keywords here. I haven't. Uh, I don't know if you've looked those up. No. Uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, there's actually quite a few. All right. Uh, thumbs up gesture. Okay. <laughs> Um, philosophical, philosophical conversation, philosophical, philosophical, philosophical conversation month. Uh, oh, there's one line that I completely forgot about. Uh, well, I love Eric Banner. Like the one point when he's like, Mr. Dale, this is completely, uh, lost faith in the Australian judicial system. Oh and yeah. Right at the end when he's like, this has completely restored my faith in the Australian yeah. judicial system. <laughs> like just the way he says it. It's so funny. Um, smashed car windshield month, shark tooth necklace month. 
Um, these are all kind of born. Oh, jousting sticks month. Oh. Here we go. Surely Knight's Tale. Tale is number one. No, it's not even on the list. Um, <gasps> the Castle is number one, followed by Playboy's Beach House, episode one, uh, number four from season one. Okay. Disgraceful. Very. I mean, the whole movie's about jousting sticks, Knight's Tale. What's what it with you hell? Australians and jousting? That's a personal question. Um, Australian, <laughs> Australian Government Month. Um... Featuring the Sapphires, the Castle, Oranges and Sunshine, and Children's of the Re- Children of the Revolution. Um, I've heard of two of them. Okay, uh, Australian Life Month. Year? Yeah, probably Australian Life Month featuring Wake in Fright from 1971. Never heard of it. The Castle, Search for a Supermodel, uh, a TV show, and The Final Winter. I can say up any... Yep, cool. Anyway, uh, not some very good ones there. Uh, what are you going to do with this film, Colin Hilding? I finished this movie thinking, yeah, this is definitely a, a very solid rent. Um, the more the day passed on, you know, despite I think there are some issues with the story... And you can explain that away too, as we have with a lot of the Canadian-Australian ones, budget you know, restrictions. In this case, how quickly they made this movie. It actually makes me appreciate it even more. Uh, I I still think that I would have rather had them go a little bit more into the legal stuff, but I think that especially going over this movie and just remembering how memorable, because there are so many really great lines in this, so many really great scenes. I think all the characters are so great, and the movie goes by so quickly that you almost don't have time to reflect on it. So I think having the whole day to reflect on and then going over this, it's bumped me up to a buy, so I'm going to buy this one. Aww. Oh, that makes me happy. Uh, yeah, absolute buy for me, too. So, yeah, hands down. Um, which, I mean, I, I don't think we really worked out we're going to do this, and it's kind of a weird thing. Are we going to, like, how would you rank the four movies that we've watched in the last four weeks? Uh, for me, I'm st- I'm still going to put Bon Cop, Bad Cop, number one. Uh, it's, it's more my genre as well, because I love, you know, action movies or uh, bad boys, lethal weapon, those type of things. Uh, and I think it's so distinctly Canadian. Uh, I might put this number two out of them. And then I think I'd go Men with Brooms, Slight Edge over Boy Town. Well, that makes sense because you bought Bon Cop, Bad Cop, and the castle, and you rented the other two. So, mm-hmm. yep. Um, I would go Castle, Boy Town, Bon Cop, Bad Cop, Men with Brooms. Uh, I mean, I bought three out of the four. Um, mm. But, yeah. No, I, I, mean, I think it's a, it's a solid month with no bins. So, good job. But uh, we'll, we'll bring it back next year. I think this has been a fun ride. Um, I mean, just before we sort of tag what we're doing next, um, any sort of ideas quickly that you're thinking for next year when it comes to this oh, month um, again? Uh, like I said, I think that the best Canadian movies tend to be very heavy, uh, artsy, and they're, they're definitely great movies, but are we going to get as fun of a podcast out of doing The Sweet Hereafter or The Red Violin? You know, these are movies that got Oscar nominations, but it's not going to, you know, necessarily produce the best podcast. But I think there are a couple of like really fun and unique Canadian movies. I did mention sci-fi, how sci-fi movies can be more polarizing just because we go very dark with our sci-fi and sometimes, you know, almost a little bit too quirky. Uh, The two main ones, one would be uh, David Cronenberg, who has had a lot of success outside of Canada as well. He made a history of violence. You know, we talked about that before. Uh, he made a movie called Ex- Existence, which came out right around the time of The Matrix and was almost like The Matrix on acid. Uh, it's definitely a, an unusual, bizarre movie. 
uh, that one. And then another one, which was a low budget Canadian movie called Cube that uh, became quite popular outside of Canada as well. Uh, if you're I think you're a fan of the Saw movies, you'd, you'd probably see some parallels with Cube and Saw. It's basically a movie about a bunch of random people who all wake up inside of a box and then they realize that they're basically inside of a giant Rubik's Cube, but every room has death traps and stuff like that. It's a, it's a really interesting movie. Uh, and then some other fun stuff. There was uh, I mentioned the movie Gunless that Paul Gross made as well. Uh, not one he directed, but which was kind of a Western comedy. That one, I think, may be his more entertaining of his movies. Uh, a Ryan Reynolds one that I mentioned, I think, last week called Foolproof, which was a heist movie. Uh, Ryan Reynolds' first real starring role in the first movie that capitalized after Men with Brooms was successful. They're like, hey, let's make another Marvel movie. Uh, the main one I'm really interested in, and this is the only one I think I'm like a definite lock on wanting to do, uh, is uh, Treed Murray, which is a very small movie. I don't know if most Canadians even know this exists, uh, but it's it's a very simple movie about a businessman who gets lost in like a big park one night after dark and basically is chased by a gang and he hides out on top of a tree and it's <laughs> them just waiting for him to come down. Like it's such a simple premise. It's an amazing movie. Uh, this guy stuck it, basically climbing up a tree, just waiting to get robbed or mugged or killed by a gang. Wow. That's just every day in Winnipeg though, isn't it? Absolutely. I did that last yeah. night. Yeah. I'm, yeah. That's where you recorded. From. I plan on going out later as soon as we're done this episode. <laughs> Gonna hide in another tree. Um, I think for me, um, yeah, the one that I very nearly added this year was Swinging Safari, which um would yeah be the most recent Australian film I've probably seen. Uh, it's only about two years old, and absolutely loved it. Uh, I showed it to Mallory uh, when it came out, and she didn't like it. <laughs> but I went and saw it at the movies. That would, again, the last Australian movie I've seen at the movies at least as well. But um, it was just it was just such a randomly hilarious movie. It's kind of a, a direct parody on Australian life in the seventies. Um, and it's got, you know, Julian McMahon in it, Guy Pearce is in it, uh, Kylie Minogue's in it. Uh, and it's just, it's just hilarious. It really, really is funny. And, um, it, and it's, it's just the culture of kind of the seventies and just really taking the absolute piss out of just how like dangerous they did things and just stuff. It's just funny. So that was one that I struggled not to include this year, uh, but I think that's definitely a lot for me next year to include Swinging Safari because again, it's it's very similar to Boytown. It kind of it came out, it sort of was there, and then it's gone away, and no one's really talked about it since, um, which is a shame because it is really a fun movie. Um, and the other one, uh, see, I think Crocodile Dundee potentially is the obvious one as well because I just think in terms of you know you mentioned Bon Cop, Bad Cop has been so important for Canadian cinema. I mean, there's no questioning that if you're going to talk about films that have been important for Australian cinema, and not just Australian cinema, I mean, the whole country of Australia, really, the the, the amount of uh, exposure Crocodile Dundee gave to the country. Uh, many people say that that movie helped open up Australia to the world. Before then, not many people came to Australia. It was Crocodile Dundee, and it just it exposed us on a, on a level that had never been seen before. So I think maybe we'll have to go with that, but I'm, I'm tempted to do the dish because I've not seen mm. the dish in a long time. And you obviously we brought that up in this episode and Sam Neill's in it. You know, what can yeah. go wrong with Sam Neill? Patrick but, Warburton. Yeah. And Tom Long is in it. Who sadly, uh, he died not that long ago, actually Tom Long, very, way too young. Uh, and he was, used to be into so many big things in the two thousands in Australia and was very well regarded. 
Um, but yeah, I'm thinking Crocodile Dundee will make the most sense and we might hold off on the dish to 2022. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking Swinging Safari and Crocodile Dundee will make sense for us in 2021. So watch this space. Um, outside of that though, in uh, I think we've got about a week or two break until we come back into, it's not really a month, I think we're only doing three films. Um, of course, we host a uh, James Bond podcast, which you can find at 007. So we're not really going to be doing much coverage when we say for No Time to Die, as we usually would, because obviously we have a whole podcast dedicated to that series. But we are at least going to do three I guess direct parody films of the Bond series. Um, we're doing. We're going to do the first Austin Powers, the first Johnny English, and the only I Spy. <laughs> so, uh, which I'm very excited for because I love all three of them. So I don't know if you have much to say on uh, each of the three that we're about to do. Uh, yeah, I mean the first Austin Powers is the good one, so that'll be fun. Um, <laughs> the first Johnny English is the best one easily. That'll be fun, and I Spy. I remember really loving this movie when it first came out, and I don't know if I've ever seen it since then. So that'll be interesting to see if it holds up. But it's got Famke Jansen in it. It's got a, a, a Bond girl. I was um, say, it does. And Owen Wilson, wasn't he like a runner-up for Daniel Craig's role or something? Yeah, I think so. Not, oh, he sh- Eddie Murphy was been. third. Yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> and Rowan Atkinson mean, was a <laughs> Bond character. So, you know. he, Yeah, it was between him and Judy Dench for him. That's what it came yeah. down to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, I mean, all three are fun movies and funny movies. Uh, if people really do want to hear full recaps on the Bond movies, we've done that. We've got 24 of them. You can hear me, Ben, yeah. and Noah do full recaps over at Double Oz 7. Uh, but this one will be for the Oz Network, and I'm excited for No Time to Die. I'm actually, in a way, I'm almost more excited to do Austin Powers and Johnny English just because they're movies you wouldn't think. I think we even talked about doing these for Double Oz 7. We're like, what are we going to do on Double Oz 7 when we run out of movies to recap and we made this list of oh there's parody movies and austin powers and johnny english for sure those two were two of the first ones we thought of yeah and i like i love i spy it's one of these sort of guilty pleasures um that you know people bag out as being a terrible movie but i actually really like i think we talked a lot about that last year when we did uh pluto nash it's kind of one of these eddie murphy movies that people say ruined his career but i actually really really enjoy um and like god i mean austin powers and john english i've watched these movies religiously my entire life i mean to the point where pretty much i watch any of the 60s bond movies and it just it's ruined because of austin powers um and i, I look I, i'll admit i i don't mind austin powers two and three I, I like all three of them but the first one is easily the best because it is probably the closest to an absolute parody film of all bond like it everything in the first one is just direct parody of bond where they go a bit skew if in number two and number three so um yeah it is it is maybe the most perfect bond parody film there ever is uh, so I'm really looking forward to doing that. And yeah, with No Time to Die, I think, I mean, obviously we're going to be doing a uh, review episode over on 007. We we might cross-platform it here. We did that with yeah. a Robert Darby interview, but the, the only difference is, is our review. I mean, we've only ever really done one review on 007 when Spectre came out, and that went for a little bit longer, and we generally drop spoilers in that. Um, but we'll we'll work it out. We'll, we'll see. We might sort of just cross-platform it over here. Um, because it is a movie that we generally should cover here on the Oz Network. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. As I said, it'll probably be a couple of weeks away because uh, we'll just do it in the three weeks preceding uh, No Time to Die. So uh, there might be, I think, a two-week gap between when we get those up for you. But in the meantime, uh, our Survivor Winners at War coverage is still going on. Colin, you enjoying the season? I haven't heard your thoughts on it yet. Oh, amazing season. Uh, disappointed that all my picks are going back-to-back. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> there's a chance a for them to come 
there is a chance for them to come back, though. <laughs> oh, God, still crying. Um, yeah, stay tuned for that. Uh, Australian Survivor 2, uh, we're hoping to bring a, our second recap of that coming up soon as we sort of merge time in episode 312. So, you know, there's a lot of episodes to cover there. And uh, Total Drama Island, is that still happening? Yeah. Yeah, we took a week off, but uh, we got. By the time you hear this, we're you know, probably gonna already have Total Drama Island back on, and uh, got more episodes in the can, and uh, lots of great stuff to come. Great, that's good. Excellent, I like it. brilliant, stunning, uh, <laughs> stunning. I don't like sand, coarse and rough and irritating. <laughs> and oh, actually, hang on, no, that's not the joke. In twenty twenty, um, Noah doesn't have a date. There we go. Um, Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks for tuning in uh, to our Australia v Canada month. It's been a lot of fun. And until next time, my name is Ben, and this episode's going straight to the pool room. And my name is Colin, and podcasting is 10% brains and 95% hilarity. Thanks for downloading this episode from the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as find out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.